Strange Cast, player one versus Life is Strange podcast. I am one of your hosts, Adnan. My co-host Adam is here. Adam, you here? I'm the other co-host. I'm here, and I I'm wearing a beanie. He's wearing a beanie. Yes, we're wearing different clothes because I think this will be a bit yeah. different from the interview. Were you wearing that in the interview? I was wearing this in an interview. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I was going to try and change back into my interview clothes, but I decided not to because I went for a run, and I'm like, it's timing and scheduling wise, I'm not doing that. But as you probably have seen by the title, the you know, title, the thumbnail, even probably even an announcement post before it. Uh, we had the absolute pleasure of having none other than Stefan Frost on here. Uh, mm-hmm. Stefan works at Deck Nine. He is the game director on the Expanse Telltale series. Um, genuinely over the moon to have someone from Deck Nine on here as well. It's like the first time we've ever had someone from Deck Nine even on this podcast. And it just blew my mind that he, he agreed to come on here. And we learned so much about the Expanse. Um, and generally speaking, I hope you enjoy it as well, because it's almost close to a two hour interview. So it's going to be something. Yeah. Um, but we decided to like record this segment first, because like we have a couple of news pieces, very small ones, and we want to keep it in tune with the podcast as well. Um, but before we start, anyway, as always, if you are new here, please do consider dropping a subscribe, turn notifications, like the video and share with your friends. Helps you support our channel more than anything else. And Strangecast is available on all podcast services. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, find us on Spotify with the video version all your favorite podcast services we are there and we've also passed 150 followers on spotify thank you so much for that thank you for the support for that um it's really appreciated and also we are on tiktok i know sometimes we have like a little bit of a feed here which shows like you know which channels you can follow us on we are on tiktok as well i've, I've neglected that but i've tried to kind of put a little bit of content on there so if you can follow us on there and support it it yeah. does really help us being a very small channel um, but like as I said, um, I hope you all enjoy the interview with Stefan Frost. It'll be coming up in this video. You can jump to it in timestamps if you want. Um, really interesting talking to him. Really fascinating guy. We learned so much about him. Um, one of my favorite parts in that, Adam, by the way, is when you like, um, can you give like a backstory? Uh, when we're talking about, can you give us a backstory of who you are, Stefan? And it's like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll cut the short story short. And he goes, tells us his <laughs> entire life story. And I'm like, this is like quite. And when you listen to it, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, yeah, I'm a particularly particularly big fan of when he talks about when he goes into the van after he goes to that job and he's like, yeah, he goes into the van and scream, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this this episode will be marked explicit anywhere on podcast services because there's there's yes. profanity left, right, and center. So, um, but anyway, before we get to the interview with Stefan, we got a couple of pieces of news. Um, Adam, you ready? I I am so ready. He is ready. So let's kick yeah. things off with this first piece of news. This broke, I think, just prior to the last episode coming out. Always happens. Always happens. Um, mm-hmm. And this was a big piece of news as well, which was that Don't Know Banishes Ghost of New Eden has been delayed to February next year. So I'm going to Eurogamer yeah. first. This is from Matt Wales. He wrote, he wrote Banishes Ghost of New Eden, uh, Ghost of New Eden. Yeah, the supernatural action RPG from Life is Strange Studio Don't Nod has been delayed to 13th of February 2024 to avoid an quote-unquote intense release cycle for AAA titles, end quote. Uh, Banishers unfolds in the frozen North American wilderness in the year 1695, where ghost hunters and lovers Antia Dura and Red Mac Ray are working to protect the living from the spectral dead. Their situation becomes somewhat more complicated when Antea suddenly finds herself unexpectedly dead and also a ghost. Uh, Don't Nod Pub- and publisher Focus Entertainment had, as com- as confirmed back in July, originally intended to release Banishers Ghost of New Eden on the 7th of November, but in a short statement posted on Don't Nod's website today, Focus has now announced a three-month delay. Um, Focus... Focus put here, and I quote, 
we have decided to postpone the release of this new franchise by three months. Uh, end quote. Uh, as the market is experiencing an intense recycle for AA titles on PC and consoles at the end of the year. Um, oh, no, actually, that's part of the quote. Never mind, sorry. Ignore me for that. Um, Focus adds its quote-unquote convinced, end quote, Banish's revised February 2024 release date, described as quote-unquote less saturated period, end quote, will give it quote-unquote the attention it deserves, end quote. Um, so Banishers will now be released in February next year on consoles and PC. Um, don't nod put on its Twitter page a little statement as well. They put, with so many unforgettable games in 2023, it's important that each of them shines brightly. Banishers Ghosts of New Eden is no exception. Uh, though finished and set for release, we want Red and Atea's story to get the spotlight it deserves. As a result, our publisher Focus in, um, Entertainment um, with our publisher Focus Entertainment, sorry, we took the decision to postpone its release on PC and consoles to February 13, 2024. The perfect date for an epic love story. Thank you for your patience. Don't nod and uh, focus. So Adam, kick things off as well. We spoke about this previously and there was a big Kotaku piece that we had actually talked about on a Strangecast episode. Um, yes. It had also said in there that it expected Banishers to be delayed, and they have correctly pre predicted this. Um, you were very much in the camp saying that <laughs> there's no chance this is going to get delayed. It'll come out at the end of the year. So I wanted yeah. to ask you how you, uh, your reaction first to this. My reaction, I feel like this is, I, I'm, I'm respecting this because it's not like, oh, we're just, we just need some time with this. But they're like up front with like, we're delaying. It's like not because it's not finished. But because, damn, there's a lot of games coming out and we want to be in the spotlight. I don't remember a time where, like, a publisher like this, like, it might have been, like, an indie game. You know, they say, like, oh, we're going to delay it. But, like, a publisher, like, Focus, like, was up front like this, saying, like, hey, we're delaying it because there's too many games coming out. You know? So, I thought it was. Like, straight up thought, what, like, yeah, they're going to go for it. They're going to gun for it. But yeah, it's 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 a little wild that they're. It, it it's also like, what if they're trying to compete with the game of the year next year? Because right now, Ooh. right now we have Baldur's Gate three, we have Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, we have uh, Spider Man two and Super Mario Wonder coming right now. Like they are not going to have a shot to even be nominated this year. You know what I mean? Ooh. Um. Whereas, like, 2024, they said that it's a less saturated period, uh, both for, um, you know, b both for the way of the month, but also, like, less saturated maybe even year. Because, like, a Zelda game is not going to come out next year. You know, Baldur's Gate 4 isn't coming out next year. Like, Spider-Man 3. Like, there's a lot of things going on. So, it might be even a less saturated year entirely, you know? Yeah, I, I think if I'm off the top of my head, I think I did agree with that Kotaku article saying that this would get delayed. Um, I was surprised that they were so keen on getting it out before the end of the year, um, considering what the actual games were that were coming out. I'm, I'm not surprised because yeah. like only very few publishers would leave games out to pasture. Like I mean, for some reason, yeah. like even a Sega with Sonic, like, they would just leave it out in like this like really intense period of games that are coming out. Um, but yeah, I forgot Sonic. Yeah. Um, so, which is not a game coming out. I forget the name. I think it was Frontiers when it came out last year, was it? Did it yeah, come Frontiers out, like, Nick, was Nick last year. Or I think that came year, out Nick, 
I think it came out when a God of War, I think, or something. So it came, one, I remember one of the releases where yeah. like, Sega just like left a game out to pasture. I was like, oh, bloody hell. I was like, I'm surprised that they're doing that. But um, yeah, like I, obviously the, the transparency is important for them to do that. I'm, I was always kind of skeptical that they were aiming for the holiday window. And especially in a holiday window yeah. where, example, like you have a blockbuster, like Spider-Man is basically going to destroy anything in its, in its realm. Because oh, that is like yeah. a big, because considering how much budget Sony put towards that game and how important it is to the console's life cycle, it's going to be like the big hitter for thingy and, and then all these other games that are coming out in between here and now and this 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 period just makes sense like not to even dodge it they're better to move it into the early part of 2024 and drop it like yeah take two has already said like multiple times like earnings calls and stuff it said like you know we were expecting like i think it's like a big 2024 2025 fiscal year and obviously when they say that you're like hang on a minute it's like you know what's coming and it's gonna obviously gonna be grand theft auto 6 and when that yes. gets announced any game that's in its realm is going to move its release date they are not yeah. going to put anything out there next to like Grand Theft Auto. So it's like when you time dates and stuff. Um, I know that Don't Nod can't risk something like this. Um, and obviously in the pre- in in the press release here and in, in in the quotes as well, it says like you know um, we decide to postpone the release of this new franchise. So yeah. the expectations from Focus yeah. is already to make this into a franchise. Um, I think that they saw this success with Vampire, and it's like they're thinking like if we can make Banishers into its own kind of like franchise, franchise, we can run this as a as a um, as a profitable franchise going forward. And it's important for Don't Nod as well. Remember, this is the only Don't Nod, non-published Don't Nod title in its cycle right. up to 2025. Like everything is all self-published. This is mm-hmm. the only one that isn't um this is the only one that's not published by them. So it's like this is a really big one for them. And I think um weirdly enough, like before we start recording and cut some of the news pieces out that was talking about like, you know, Don't Nod's position on the on the market and stuff. Like they've revised their earnings, like you know, like analysts of like what they mm-hmm. expect don't know to make per earnings shares etc all that because this has now been moved for example so it's like this yeah. will have an impact on on that as because in itself like if you ever look into it like don't know diluted its owners in terms of like its stock and stuff like they issued so many shares and tencent owns quite a like a large position in it but like that they're 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 a publicly listed company you could buy don't know if you wanted tomorrow if you bought all the shares you could take control of it but it's like they they have stockholders that they have to appease but they've made a decision here where it's like actually we're going to risk losing a lot of revenue here because if we put it smack bang in the middle of november december october wherever wherever it's going to be and we're competing against spider-man etc can't risk it can't risk it this no. is this is for, for me out the out the the x amount of games that they've got in the pipelines this and the montreal game is the main important ones which will drive revenue and this one more so because it's published by focus okay adam anything else no, uh, other than just like I'm a little shocked, but also like I'm honoring them that like yeah, like good decision on your part. Like get your spotlight when you can, get your bag. Yeah, yeah, fair play to them. Like I, I get it as well. Like and and I don't think they need to like hide the fact that the game's coming out like you know a little bit later because they're a bit like iffy about the window and stuff. It's like it just makes sense at this point. Like what, why, why waste a good opportunity for them? So either way, we'll move banishers into 2024. And we'll keep on top of that um, and kind of like you know fair play to kataku for calling that they'll delay this game and it's more so for it's quite interesting to hear the reasons nonetheless um so we have one more piece of news we'll cover this now yes. before um we jump into our interview with stefan frost um or frost as he's known um so this is life is strange as well for the people we appease life is strange fans um so we got a trailer here for life is strange oh. forget me not hmm? no i'm just saying whoa it's oh, right. it's uh... i thought yeah. <laughs> My cues are all over the place here today. I thought you like, right, I was like oh, right, we lost each other now. Um, no. Life is Strange, Forget Me Not, 
the comic book has its own trailer um, that has been dropped by Titan. It was dropped about five days ago. We're recording the fifth. Uh, we're recording the eighth of October. This segment, um, one minute trailer. Adam, uh, I said to Adam before we even recorded this that I've never seen a trailer for a comic book, but maybe I'm not like versed in the comic book like you know world as as I should yeah. be. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting to see this, and and obviously we're we're swinging slowly to a. Is it a December release? December 13th, the first issue yes. comes on sale. Um, and even at the end of this trailer as well, we have a comic book variant E, which is a blank sketch. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what they're doing there. Unless yeah. it's like, there's like, they're getting a fan to design it, or that there's a competition going at the minute. I've, I didn't actually get time to check that in, but there's, you know, all the variant uh, cover arts of that. Um, Adam, what do you think of the trailer first? Uh, we got a lot more look at the art style we got a lot more look at the panels and uh what they will be looking like um i do like the motion involved like they do the uh there's like a little fly, uh, fire flick they did there so it's like they didn't just show panels but they actually did work into animating some of the panels mm. um no it's it's a really well done uh trailer letting you know what's going to be happening in the first issue so yeah no it's 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 a tight trailer it's 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 good yeah yeah it is really cool to watch it i'm just watching it again now as well um yeah i'm i'm kind of i'm not sure how how i feel about this yeah it's 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 a nice trailer like in itself i've always said this i love claudio leonardi's art i love andre Izzo's work on the original series there their coloring and their visual style and presentation is is beautiful like but life is strange especially um and then we kind of like get a little bit more run through the story we see a lot more at panels of alex we see a lot of panels of steph we see lily i believe her name is the little girl um in the tra- in the trailer as well yes. um so there's quite a lot there's not huge amounts it's just a little teaser and preview i'm intrigued about how far this comic series goes and if, if it has the same success as the uh the vicelli series which was like six volumes essentially um but yeah i'm i'm excited to see this and obviously we'll be following it quite closely when it comes out we're actually going to be running this in real time whilst this is going on so we can keep uh on top of the conversations with uh life is strange forget me not i'm sure um oh yeah we also saw some funny comments as well i think i said this adam off we were recording because titan has uploaded this on youtube and i saw yeah. like a preview of the first comment and uh this is from at tr0r who put disappointing the worst part of the series was the overuse of rachel she was a more interesting character when she was dead. <laughs> oh my god, yo. I, 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 lo- I love this community. I love this community. Um yeah, it's a uh, look look I get it like Rachel was a Rachel was a weird addition Rachel was a good and and a bad addition for the comic series during the original mm-hmm. series. Um and I think maybe there's a conversation that you had there at some point between me and you. Um but I said to like I always said in my interview with Emma Vicelli for example. Um I love the fact that there were some scenes. I think there's like one one um, panel. It's the first time you see Max and Rachel in the same room. There's no Chloe. Yeah. And I'm like, that's such a cool scene to see unfold out because like the, the conduit that holds these two characters to get together, Chloe is not there. And you now see like them two connecting and having a conversation. I said to Vicelli as well, I was like, how 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 difficult was it to kind of like write those scenes? Because you basically have tons of source material for Max and Chloe, but you don't have it for um for Rachel and uh, Max um so it's quite interesting um nonetheless to see that um but it was it was funny that adam because i remember when i was dropping the emma vicelli interview people were not happy with that 
I remember yeah. some people like oh, like some people like really lashed out at me like oh yeah she's like this and she's like this and she's ruined like Max and Chloe and she's done this and she's done that and I'm like I'm like chill man it's like I'm just here to drop yeah. an interview with Emma Bocelli talking about Life is Strange like, I like the fandom it's like I ain't getting like you know that deep in it um, but there, there are some funny comments though nonetheless I think there's another one here from at Max Melo Melanine <laughs> Uh, yeah. nine five nine zero put um, <laughs> the put, majority of fans colon ask for happy, healthy happy price field square colon give toxic amber price with out of character rachel to make them healthy <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. for real it's it's, it's quite it's, it's, it's they are divided man I, like i get it like it's just different stories like they, they, you have so many people who are now dabbling in this universe and dabbling with these characters who were created by a lot of hands in jar yeah yeah essentially that's what it comes yeah. down to and whether you like things or not I, I, it's just going to come down to that like even someone's point here i agree with them as well now I do with sean too i'd love a sean and daniel comic book series yeah the minute that someone sees it they'll probably be like oh why is rachel here why is this person here why is that person yeah there? it's gonna you, you're never gonna be to appease everyone um so yeah Honestly. A, lot of, a lot of comments here they're saying they don't like rachel damn so one of the things we noticed in here and i and i have and if anyone is watching this and in the comments can leave this, I'm not doing this for engagement because I have no idea. Two people in here, uh, at Ravid, uh, Ravid J Mixes, 3307 put, lol, you really killed Kate Marsh in this question mark. And then uh, Laura Lanford, who I know Laura Lanford, I've seen them on Twitter a couple of times and they've interacted with things. Um, Laura Port, real bold to kill Kate, also missed a big opportunity to feature a poly between Alex with both Steph and Ryan. This comic's version of Alex looks too skinny compared to the canon game version uh, with a frowny face. The first part, again, really bold to kill Kate. Have I missed something with Kate Marsh here? Like, I, I looked everywhere. Yeah. Like, I was looking, I even looked on Reddit at one point, put her name in there, couldn't find anything, looked on Google, there's no kind of thing. Have we missed something in the news here? Like, if, if anyone's like here, just like let us know like, if we've missed something. So I've tried to follow the comics quite closely. And I don't know if it's like some of the other volumes that were part of the the Vicelli canon if they're carrying that on i don't know i've only read three of the volumes so far on that like let us know because it's like i'm, I'm kind of a bit confused because we will we generally stop the recording this recording that we were doing for like four or five minutes like just watching the trailer again and again i was like adam can you see like kate in this trailer can you like see yeah her i, I didn't panel see anything about kate yeah but yeah. Like, i haven't followed the comics really um but i feel like we would have known about this like following the community and all that yeah, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, cause even the comic series, because that comic series is Max, Rachel, Chloe, and it's like different stories and stuff. And that's canon for the that that is one canon opportunity with the Vicelli series. I don't know yeah. if the Vicelli series even has any like weighing on this comic series. This could be a completely different like canon. Yeah. I, I think it probably will because it got Rachel and Chloe, and you've seen like little snippets and stuff before of it. And I think that they might treat these treat this as a separate universe mm -hmm. with. Um, the Vicelli series, but I'm, I'm, I was a little bit surprised by that comment, unless it's part of the original comic series, which I've still not read yet, like the, the remaining volumes at least, it might be that, but if anyone does know that, please do let us know in the comments, I'd be quite intrigued to kind of have a bit of contact. Even if it's Laura as well, if Laura, if you are watching this some some way, shape or form, let us know what, yeah. what that is for context, because I'd, I'd be quite intrigued to know that. Um, and also Laura, I get it with Laura as well. It's like I think at this point with Steph and Ryan, you could have probably had Ryan like popping in the story. I think that they've just gone with the Steph, the Steph storyline because like I think that's I think that was what most people went with anyway, didn't they? I think so. Yeah, unfortunately, very unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. She's also right about Alex as well. Alex does look a lot more skinnier than she does, she does. in the game. Uh, that's 
a travesty. Because yeah. Yeah, 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 I don't know. But yeah, she does look skinnier <laughs> now. Now you could say like, oh, she lost weight because you know touring. You don't really eat at all. So sure, why not? But like, I don't know. It's all. It's also an art style as well. Like maybe they yeah. just like that's how they draw people. You know. Um, but I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, nonetheless, I'm I'm interested by this. I do want to give it a shot. The comic series. <laughs> I know yeah. some people don't like they like how we feel about like Truclers <laughs> and what we say about that. There's there's differences with Truclers by my position, but I did like Alex. Um, do you know what? As well, here's a bold thing. I would have wouldn't even mind this is just being an Alex story. It's just Alex on yes. her own. No. Yeah. No, I I highly agree with that. Oh, that cat wants something. Huh? Well, he wants a lot of things in life. Yeah, I don't think I don't usually think that picks up in the audio, but yeah, usually my guess no, is an interruption. Of... Yeah, <laughs> I heard him yeah. loud and clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is a like, this, this is the period where he something. just wants to basically eat. Okay, so we'll pick back up here. I don't know what's happened there. My cat came inside, meowing. Recording crashed. Yeah. Everything else happened in between it. Do you know what? As well, the Stefan interview went on for the better part of like two hours. No issues. Yes. Yeah, I know. 20 minutes. I and yeah. it's like, like, <laughs> go on, like technology, um, dog. It's it's still not here. It's like honestly, it, it, no, it's not. Either way, that'll be the end of our section. Anyway, we'll talk more about the uh, comics as we keep going forward. Um, without further ado, we'll now jump into our next section, which is obviously our big, big interview with Stefan Frost. Um, there are spoilers in a lot of the sections. We do talk about a lot of the expanse. Um, unfortunately, if you haven't played it, then I would advise you go and play it and then come back and watch the interview. Um, I might even do it in the show notes where it's like it's spoiler free sections or spoiler thing. I, I don't know how I'm going to weigh this up yet at the moment, but I will warn you there are a lot of spoilers because we do talk about a lot of it because the five episodes of the expanse are out now. Also, go and play the expanse as well if you haven't. Strong encouragement for that as well because it is really fun. Despite the other things as well, we even asked Stefan about the, the game's length. Um, Adam asked him about him. I think he gives a really great response as well. Um, and he's a very chilled guy. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy this. You, you get a really great insight into Deck Nine and also the project, the Expanse, Telltale, except all of that good stuff. So without further ado, enjoy this interview. Okay, so we cut into this segment. Um, obviously, if you've probably seen our thumbnail, you've seen our title, you've seen all kinds of things that we've been posting. We have a very special guest from Deck Nine himself, uh, game director on the Expanse uh, Telltale series, Stefan Frost, also known as Frost to some people, is here. Stefan, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we're very excited to have you on here. And obviously, like, as I said with the introduction, you are known as Frost to some people because we had Erica Mori on here a couple episodes ago. Well, I was going to say, he's also known by a different name that we discovered. <laughs> that Mr. was also... Skeeter <laughs> that... Denise? Yeah, that... yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that was also in the notes here as well, because um, we, obviously we've I've spoken to Erica before about Life is Strange stuff. We had her on The Expanse. We, had, we learned so much about it. And me and Adam have obviously followed The Expanse a lot. Um, and, and congratulations, obviously, well-earned break that you're taking at the minute in terms of five episodes are out. There's still a DLC to come, but um, a nice, uh, nice project that you've worked on and really enjoyed it. But I want to start off with things with Erica Mori because I was like, you know, how was it like working with her on the project? Because she gave us, you know, we saw the no-filter Erica Mori who comes on this podcast as always, and she gave us her perspective. But I wanted to know what, you were, what your experience was like working with her. With Mori? Uh, she's great. She's, she's very funny. She, 
uh, is very professional. You know, she'll come in, she knows what she needs to do. She knows the process. You know, she's done it obviously a lot with uh, the previous Life is Strange. So coming in, I think she sort of knew what the sort of the deal was and and was also really good about working with Kara to make sure that, you know, she understood the assignment on, you know, how to be drummer. She like really dove into the show and understanding that stuff, uh, you know, and she's, as you guys know, very funny and very uh, <laughs> uh, ridiculous uh, all the time. I think my relationship with Maury right now is basically once a week, uh, she'll send mm-hmm. me something that she thinks is funny on like a, like, <laughs> here's a TikTok that I think is funny. And then I'll be like, oh, it's like a six out of 10. And that's usually <laughs> what our our back and forth is um, with her. But uh, yeah, she's great. Um, she was a lot of fun to work with. She's very smart. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be working with her again in the future on some project, whatever it is. No, it's really glad to hear that. And also as well, I like the fact that you call her Maury in response. Is that as in response to you being called Frost that you call her Maury? Because I only know her as Erica. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know what, what happened there. I just I I think it just started that I just started calling her Maury just because uh I sometimes default to last names, but so for I was whatever reason. Ask, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any like military background in the family? <laughs> no, no, not at <laughs> really? all. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just weird because the places that I've worked at, there's a lot of times where people just call each other by their last names or whatever. Because you know, there's like fourteen mics or whatever, and then you just start <laughs> calling them by their last name. Uh, yeah so yeah maury is just kind of always what i've called her <laughs> but uh, yeah no, no special origin story other than i'm weird I don't know. yeah no because that, that's the thing it's like if, if there's like military background of course it's the last name thing uh i work in restaurants so i just shout chef all the time so like talk about last names or first name. everybody's just dressed as chef i call the dishwasher chef so just yeah. like all over the place with names and stuff Oh, dude, I'm a huge fan of the bear, so I get it. Uh, Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most accurate restaurant show I've ever seen. Like, everybody that I work with are like, thank God, somebody actually got it right this time. So, yeah, I, I always recommend that show. Yeah, it's, it's exceptional. Uh, Chef, oh, yeah. It's very good. Oh, yeah. So, Stefan, um, with Erica Mori as well, you know, you, you worked on the mocap. We'll come on to your side of the mocap you were working on and all the other stuff sure. at the expanse but um obviously she was there for mocap doing um additional mocap for kamina drummer um i wanted to know what your favorite me- uh, memory on set with her was because she is quite the hoot to work with um from other <laughs> developers and i just wanted to know what what was your favorite experience on mocap with her uh yeah so i think i sort of talked to you about this on twitter a little <laughs> bit but um there was yeah. there was a point where so i did a couple of mocap things as well um i did uh, a character named tor who's, you know, this menacing, literal cutthroat space pirate. And uh, so the whole time, we didn't know if I was going to do face capture or not. It was sort of a, like, maybe we keep this on to be like more menacing sort of thing, but you didn't know. So we did face capture. But the look that I gave the entire time was like Judge Dredd. You know, like I was trying to be like, you know, very menacing (laughs) kind of like. And the, the character, we had a face for Tor originally. And his look was like, you know, pretty like mean. And so you want to keep that frown as much as you can, you know? So a lot of times I would be like pushing Maury and then, you know, keeping that (laughs) face the whole time. And she knows I'm not like that all the time. Right. So seeing ridiculous skinny ass frost, like pushing her with like this, you know, face, (laughs) she would like 
barely keep it together at takes and so at the very end of it she would just like start you know laughing hysterically she's she's like the opposite of me in that um i'm dead inside and it takes me like a lot for me to laugh so uh for her yeah i mean like you can tie your shoe and she'll think that's funny so uh yeah so at the end of takes she was always just like busting up laughing and stuff like that so yeah working with her on stuff like that was always ridiculous um and you know i i think i always try to keep the room in positive spirits because uh, i'm not as worried about it with with maury but there are sometimes you'll bring in actors and they're very uh nervous and you know they don't they don't want to mess it up because everybody is watching you know it's a mm -hmm. it's kind of high pressure too because if you mess up a take you got to restart everything and get into a pose and do your thing and then you know go back into it and it takes a lot. So I try to keep it as loose as possible in that room so that people feel like, okay, well, if this is the game director and he's making jokes and, and stuff like that, then, uh, you know, I don't feel as stressed out about this. It's more comfortable. Um, mm. So the opposite, I feel like is the worst where it's very high pressure and, you know, if you don't get this right, you're done. You know, like that sort <laughs> yeah. of stuff is not going to help somebody. So uh, yeah, I, I tried to keep it like that. And, you know, Maury's default is, you know, to be a ham. So uh, it was pretty easy for her. <laughs> so I got a side question for you. And this is like, okay, your personal humor levels here. So yeah. uh, two questions for you. One, and they're both follows. One, the new Kevin James memes, like how does that rank with you where he's just kind of like shrugging? Like, is that a good meme? And second question to that, what are your top three meme formats currently? Oh, geez. Uh, the Kevin James ones, yeah, they're funny. You know, they, they, he's got okay. that, like, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, what do you think? Uh, yeah, they're funny. My, uh, so I really like uh, <laughs> Pedro Pascal. Like, he always, yes. I don't know why his memes are always the funniest to me, but he has those, you know, he's great with expressions and stuff. And so he yeah. has that, there's one where he has the, like face yeah, yeah, or yeah. or the one where he's like uh laughing and then he like turns into crying meme you know oh so yeah that too or the one with the sandwich he's just eating a sandwich there yes his his, his memes are, are probably the ones that always get me to to laugh the most um i yeah right now i think those are the ones that i think are funny but um but again it takes it takes a lot if you ask people on the team i'm very friendly and very amicable um, but I just don't laugh at anything. So if you make me laugh, uh, well done. It, it takes a lot, but, Dang. uh, yeah, there, there's been, I don't know, twice there, one time that did get me and, uh, we would do playthroughs of the game like once a week. And what, what happened is I would play through it or somebody else would play through it and the whole team would be watching. And the whole point was basically to spot check as we're going and see where bugs are and see what things could feel better and give notes. Um, but uh, John Zim, who's the narrative director, wrote an affirmations thing for Cox. It's hmm. in episode two. And if you go into his, you know, this is after he's basically either been spaced or thrown in the brig, but his daily affirmations are ridiculous. And they're very like, Everybody loves you. You are the best. It's it's very over the top and silly. And reading it, I I did laugh out loud. So I was like, "Well done, Sam. You did it." Uh, so, <laughs> Dang. Uh, yeah. But uh, 
I don't think it's a good thing, by the way, <laughs> that I'm like dead inside and don't laugh all that much. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a personality trait. I mean, like, there's a there's a lot of chefs I work with where if you get them to laugh, like, you earn that laugh. But then there's other chefs that's just like, again, kind of like Erica Mori, it's just like, you just drop a slice of ham and they're just like cracking up. It's like, you know, you don't feel like you earned it, you know? To be fair, dropping a slice of ham, the sound effect when it hits the floor is funny. It's like not quite a splat. It's just, yeah, it's just a good, it, it has its, it's unique sound. Yeah. <laughs> that's my kind of humor. And I think that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, exactly what we need for this podcast. And and Stefan, because obviously when we had Eric on here, we learned so much about the project. Um, and also, like, my initial kind of thought with Erica coming on was because she was doing motion capture for the physical stuff for Cara because Cara, um, Cara was pregnant, but obviously it wasn't the case of that. But then she said that you guys were even contemplating at one point that you might not have had Kamina Drummer herself, Cara G, on the project. You were kind of like even thinking about the idea of introducing like a new protagonist because that hadn't surfaced yet. Because um, so I wanted to ask like what why what was the main reason to gravitate towards um, Kamina Drummer? Because I haven't watched the expanse i haven't read any of the books i do want to watch the show now because of the game uh, and when i google searched itself it said that you know kamina drummer is not the main protagonist it, or came up quite quickly with that so i wanted to know why you wanted to pick kamina as the character in this and then also um if you had contemplated doing another character as the main protagonist if you hadn't got kamina uh yeah i mean we when we first found out that we were getting the expanse we really had to think hard there, there are a ton of characters in that show so um really Holden seems to be the the core main character, but the Rastanante crew, um, and once you watch the show, uh, you'll sort of see this is like the main set of sort of main characters. Um, but the issue was the authors have done such a good job in fleshing out that world that it was really hard to find a way in with a character that we knew. Um, mm -hmm. Like uh, a fan favorite seems to be Amos, uh, who's a great character. And has also had a show, uh, you know, in season five, really goes into his history and background. There's a book that goes into his history and background. Uh, so looking at all these fan favorite characters and things, it was kind of like, well, uh, is it really worth telling a story for like the third time? Mm. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe you could find some weird little in that hasn't been covered, but felt strange. So we had thought about um, other characters that didn't exist. You know, there's if you look at like uh, Lee and Clem in mm. Walking Dead, they were not mm -hmm. in the series, you know, before that game. Um, mm -hmm. You would run into Glenn or other characters from the books or the show. But really, uh, those were made up characters for that. So we were thinking, OK, maybe we do something along those lines. Um, the in, though, I mean, Drummer is my favorite character from the show. Uh, I really liked uh, the personality and the heart that uh, Kara brought to the character. <clears throat> so uh, to me, that was like an interesting take. I, for whatever reason, also, I, I don't like to go with the thing that you expect um, mm. when, you know, you're seeing something like, I think a lot of people would have thought like, Oh, it's going to be about Amos or it's going to be about mm. uh, Holden or, or one of the core crew members. I wanted to have something that would, catch people off guard and also she was sort of a fan favorite too there's a there's a lot of people that really like drummer and you can look up loads of videos and you know internet postings about like how drummer is <laughs> one of the best characters ever and and i agree so um we did that but if we couldn't get drummer it was uh, sort of bandied about like well maybe we can make another character that, that is new that runs into other characters from the show or something along those mm -hmm. lines but 
luckily we got Kara and Mm -hmm. she was fantastic and very prepared, came in, knew her stuff uh, and was very sweet. My my main fear was, oh God, this is going to be a Hollywood person and they're going (laughs) to meet all these demands. And, you know, uh, I've worked with uh, celebrities and stuff like that before. And so it's always a hit or miss. Like sometimes they're very humble and sometimes they're, they don't have time for you sort of thing. But she was mm-hmm. great. She threw everything she had into it. And you can kind of tell in the performance. So, yeah, I was happy we got her. So going on, like, some behind-the-scenes stuff here, when you said, like, oh, we, we got Kara, um, without, like, going into any, like, details, like phone numbers, emails, but, like, what, what does that process look like to get a celebrity guest onto a video game? Like, what does that process look like? You usually have to reach out to their agent. So um, if they're at a certain level, they're going to have agents and... Uh, Hell, even if people aren't at certain levels, they have agents. But um, mm-hmm. there, uh, with her, we reached out, and um, uh, somebody at Telltale did the legwork of reaching out to their agent. Got mm. to talk with them. Uh, her agent is great too, very communicative, and um, you know, put us into contact with her. Pretty straightforward. And uh, yeah, then we got to meet her. Uh, weirdly enough, in um, a recording studio in Canada. Uh, oh, but wow. it was at some dude's house in his <laughs> weird shed that had a recording <laughs> studio in his weird shed. In Canada. Um, in Canada. Yeah, because she was working at the time. So we needed, oh, yeah. uh, if, you, if you see the first debut trailer that we did, um, mm. it was at the Game Awards. She was on site and shooting something in some remote region of Canada. I don't even remember where, but we had to find a studio that was close to her to get her voice for this trailer. Wow. Which we did. We located and worked out when she could go and get there. And that's, that's when we met her and this very grumpy recording engineer who had no idea <laughs> who Kara was or had recorded ADR before. Um, ADR is like uh, sp- speaking over something that's already been recorded. Um, okay. So Maury did the, uh, did the motion capture for that trailer, for example, and mm. the talking part of it. But then we had Kara come in and do her voice over uh, Erica's performance. So uh, oh, that's wow. what she was there to do. But we met her there. She was super humble and very nice. And, you know, um, <laughs> she had to explain to the recording engineer, uh, hey, sorry, I'm going to talk in a really weird accent that you don't recognize. It's from the show. It's going to sound weird. I'm just yeah. letting you know. Um, and <laughs> um, he just kind of went from there. Stefan, that's what I wanted to ask you as well, because what I, I watched your playthrough with um, Kara G, which was really fun, but what I didn't realize was that Kara G's voice isn't Camille Drummers. I had made the assumption that her natural voice was Camille Drummers. So I kind of wanted to ask you, what was it like? Did, did you see her at any point during the mocap or like in terms of a recording session where she put the voice on? And what was the kind of immediate feelings? Do you get chills just seeing her do it? Because it, it is quite the voice. Yeah, she goes, uh, as she puts it, you know, it's in the basement. Um, it, it is a, it's so strange. You know, I had watched uh, her for years with that voice that she has on the show. So seeing her, and I had looked up stuff on the internet and stuff, because I'm like, ah, let me look up things about Kara. <laughs> and yeah, she used this very sweet, you know, hey, hello, kind of voice <laughs> comparatively yeah. to drummer, which is throw him out the airlock. You know, it's just down here. Um, so it was a little shocking at first to see that she's such a different person. And it really is a testament to her ability to be a great actress and 
changed so much and uh, maintain that. So yeah, it was it was great. It was great hearing her in the studio, just kind of go into the voice and uh, read stuff that you've written is very cool. You know, like that's a it's an experience I wish a lot more people could have. This sort of like I'm going to write this thing, and then somebody who's very talented reading this, and it sounds awesome. It's uh, it's an amazing experience. So it was great with her to do that. Um, so I'm going to risk something here, which was that I, I started looking up online and I saw that, you know, you, you do Tor, you do Anderson Dawes. Dawes doesn't appear in the game. Um, yeah. What I believe is that someone else plays Dawes in the show. Um, and you've obviously came in as a, as a substitute and a very good substitute, I should add as well. Those performances were great. Um, and despite the fact that you didn't get courage at first, did you not contemplate maybe, maybe me using Kamina drummer and then using Maury's voice or using another voice actor or was it just like we're not going to risk it because of how iconic that Karaji has made this character if we didn't uh thank you for the compliment by the way uh <laughs> if if she did not uh decide to come with us it would have been a different character it, I, I mm. wouldn't have wanted somebody else to come in and do that voice because I don't it would be so jarring for anybody who's watched the show to see it and say, well, this is clearly not Kamina drummer. And it would probably take a while before that sort of happened. Um, yeah. With, uh, with Dawes, Jared Harris is the, the actor who portrays that, who's an amazing actor, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's been in Mad Men and he's mm-hmm. on, uh, Oh my God. What's the, the new sci-fi show he's on. That's the oh. Asimov novel that's on Apple that is escaping me. Oh, I have no idea. I don't watch Apple. I hate myself for not remembering it. But uh, (laughs) he's an exceptional actor. He's he's really good. Um, And getting him, it was just like it was not going to happen. Like he's he's at a status now where it's just he was not going to come in on a video game. So um, yeah, so that one we sort of had to. And Dawes was a big part of Drummer's life. So um, there's a book called Butcher of Anderson Station, which is uh, Mm. sort of. uh, early take on what drummer was and uh so he had to be in the game the the mm. weird part with that one is he has a specific voice and then there's the belter accent so you have to be mm. able to do an impression of jared harris and then on top of that like jared harris doing a belter accent which is a weird <laughs> made-up language right um yeah so uh all of those things uh needed to come together i sort of by happenstance sort of did an impression uh and people were like actually that's not terrible and we kept we were talking to other people about doing it we couldn't find somebody that could hit it so i was kind of like this i guess frost can do it kind of thing um (laughs) but uh that's how that kind of came to be funny enough so because i have i have a follow-up question to that uh you say that uh certain actors uh reach a status and you just say like, oh, they're not going to come on to just a game. And you have this sort of um, like uh, kind of understanding like, yeah, there's certain actors that just will not step onto a game. I can even remember uh, God of War, the, the oh, what's the actor who played Kratos? Oh, no. Um, the, the new Christopher one? Judge? Christopher yeah, the new Judge, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah Christopher, Christopher Judge. Judge. Yeah, where he didn't even know he was on a game. Like he thought it was a movie. My, que- my, my question for you is that, uh, do you think video games are going into the direction where actors will start to respect on, oh, wow, I've got a role for a video game? Or do you think it's always going to have a future of 
it's going to be a niche subject and actors are not going to respect it. Like, what, what's your take on the future? No, I mean, I think with motion capture heading the direction that it is, and with, uh, even without that, with animation, like if you look at Pixar, mm-hmm. uh, the first 10 minutes of Up is going to make me cry every single time that I watch it. I can hear this, the song that plays and I'm like, nope, turn it off. This, this is going to make me well up. Um, so I think that there's enough advancement in the medium to get uh, people that are not hardcore gamers to feel something emotionally. Mm. So I think that you'll, you'll start to see more of it. Um, and it's also a medium that uh, seemingly has become more uh, taken more seriously by a lot more people. I think um, what's funny, uh, you know, to probably everybody in this chat is the last of us show came out, which is exceptional. It was really yeah. well done. And it's, it's based- so good very closely on what the game was. I mean, there's some changes here and there, but for the most part, pretty close adaptation. Um, And uh, I think you're starting to see, like I've seen people cry at our playthroughs, right? When certain things happen in the game and they're brought to tears. I'm like, well, cool. We did it. We made characters that people give a shit about. Um, Yeah. So uh, I think you'll start to see that more and more and more, especially as the technology advances. But I I think we've known that for years, that it's a great Mm -hmm. medium for things like that. It's just the, a person who doesn't play video games will always look at it like, I don't know, it's like Pac-Man or something, right? It's not a, yeah. it's not taken seriously maybe from those folks, but I do feel that every entertainment medium has gone through this. Mm. Um, like radio to television to, you know, movies. All of those things are often at, the, at their inception criticized as not art. Like this isn't yes. art. You know, art is a painting or art is a sculpture. Um, and then they adapt it and you know you can have a radio play that brings an emotion to you which i think the definition of art is to make you feel something and Mm -hmm. uh, i think games do that and so yeah certainly i think that it will become more recognizable but i'll be honest i don't give a damn if people do think that or not what i care Mm -hmm. about is the people that do play them feel something and that's really the, the goal but do i care that you know my grandpa feels that those are like it's not a like okay grandpa just go back to bed it's fine um yeah <laughs> oh my god um no i i feel a very similar way because i i do music on spotify and it's very um niche kind of music uh it's got scenes into into it and stuff and there's a, there's a drastic difference to where i share it on instagram or uh x twitter whatever and sharing it on facebook where it's just like uh x and instagram like wow you know i really enjoyed it i loved it facebook the responses i get is like wow glad you're staying busy oh nice hobby and just like this is why i don't share it on facebook man it's just like go to, like what you said go to bed goodbye yeah and it's just yeah yeah I, it's, it's, it's that fun. stark difference i it's also i, I like metal music um and Good. there are certainly a lot of people that uh, don't they'll hear it and they're like, oh, how could you listen to that? You know, but yeah. for me, I'm like, I love this. Uh, but um, so <laughs> who are you like, listening to? Top three artists. Oh man. Um, so I just saw uh, Gojira live. They're probably one of my favorite yes. metal bands. I love Gojira. Yeah. They're one of those like metal is also this weird gate. It's it's such a broad. Yeah. yeah, but there are a lot of people that will go, oh, that band sucks. Like I like Ghost. And there are a lot of people that are like, Ghost is terrible, dude. They're weak. Ghost is like a cult sometimes, though. Yeah, they're, it's, it's weird <laughs> unto itself. But the funny thing is there are people that don't like it or love it. 
And Gojira is one of those bands to me in the metal community that pretty much everybody's like, yeah, they're, they're awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like them or Amon or Marth, just like a Viking metal band. Um, yes. Yeah. My, when my kid was like a year and a half, he was going, right, y'all horns, like as a little, you know, just getting him yeah. into it young. Uh, but yeah, I, I, but I totally see, you know, I, I understand that not everybody's going to be into it and not see it as, you know, an interesting art form or whatever, but, but I do and the people that yeah. listen to it do. And that's really what I sort of care about more than oh, yeah, people who don't. Have you ever listened to uh, Make Them Suffer? No, that sounds metal as hell though. Oh, it's so good. The um, their their whole concept is like this um, inter intergalactic story where um, it, it's just like a a conceptual album. But the last album they released in twenty twenty was about the singer's struggle in fame and how he's like handling all of it. And it's just so deep. Uh, there's there's this uh pressure that he feels every day, and he feels like he should just die. And like it's so emotional. It's so good. Um, but yeah, make them suffer is another good one. But Gojira, yeah, top up there. Those are good choices. Yeah, they're 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 some of my favorites. Yeah. So, I mean, it's back onto Deck Nine and Stefan. Yes. Um, I'm gonna shift gears away from tell um from Telltale and Deck Nine and more so um the Expanse because one thing I found and we were talking about it up before we started was like. We didn't really know who Stefan Frost was. It's like he, he popped up. I looked on IMDb. It's like he's got the Expanse credit roles there. And then even like with the roles, performances that he'd done the Expanse. But I was like, has this guy worked on Life is Strange? Has he been on that part of um, Deck Nine Studios? And then even like when we spoke to Erica, we got an introduction to Zachary Andrews, who's a performance director. We'll come on to him later. I just kind of wanted to know how's your, what's your backstory and like how you got to Deck Nine and then how you ended up working on this project and how this project even came about. Because obviously it's like, it's Telltale and Deck Nine for us. Me and Adam always said like two narrative powerhouses coming together to make a game. It's like this is quite the mashup that most people never even expected. And you saw that with when the expanse was um, announced. People were like, wait, Deck Nine's working on this as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, long. Uh, I'll try to keep this as concise <laughs> as possible because like you could do an entire podcast on this. But uh, I got my start in uh, at Disney Interactive Studios in 2007, oh, wow. um, and. <laughs> Uh, I had finished school maybe a year and a half before that or so, and I uh, got a degree in communications and uh, that shit is useless. Uh, there, there's not <laughs> many people that are like, I'm dying for a communications major. Uh, get them in here, stat. Like, it's just, it <laughs> um, but I, I didn't know fully what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do things like um, write or um, be in entertainment of some kind. And I've, I'd always at the time wanted to be in games, but I didn't know how it was always this weird mystery of like, how do you get into video games? And I would look up jobs and I didn't know what any of them were or what it meant. So it always felt kind of distant and far off. But um, I interned at a bunch of places, including G4 TV when it was on um, and uh, worked on the show X play for like oh, a very short amount of time. It, it was an internship. So I would work as a very uh, like got, <laughs> didn't get paid to do things is what I should say. Um, yeah. So I uh, did that for X-Play. And uh, after that, I uh, interned at Vagrant Records, which is a, a, like, I don't know, emo slash metalcore, yeah. or just indie sort of label. Um, they had like Alkaline Trio and Dashboard Confessional and a couple other Oh, bands. snap. Yeah. Um, so did that for a while. And then 
uh, I was interviewing for two jobs. One was to be the web content manager for the band, The Offspring. Whoa. Um, which would have meant like going on tour with them and saying like, these are what the guys are up to and this is what's going on or whatever. Yeah. And then another one was um, Disney Interactive reached out and said, hey, we have this uh, paid internship program. It's only six months long, but you get to work in licensed product stuff. So you would work on um, like at the time Ratatouille or Cars or whatever for Pixar um, mm. or whatever movie, Meet the Robinsons that's coming out or whatever. Mm. Um, so uh, I didn't get the offspring job, but I did get the job um, with Disney. And thankfully um because the music industry is a very hard one to get um buy-in these days um yeah but uh and, and you know i think uh, I, i'm glad it worked out the way that it did but um so I, I did that for six months um i didn't uh i had never been unemployed up until that point like i was working when i was 16 and mm. then just kept going so uh, there was this prospect of me being unemployed and I was freaking out and, oh. uh, I was interviewing at a bunch of different places, but everybody was like, Hey, you just don't have enough experience. Mm. Um, and a, com a company in Utah named sensory sweep studios reached out and said, would you be interested in a design role? And I said, yeah. And so I interviewed and they uh, said, well, you've got the job. And I was like, well, hold on. This is in Utah. I'm in Southern California at the time. Um, I'm like, can you guys fly me out there? Because I don't even know like, what Utah's like. Uh, yeah. And so they said, yes, and this is a red flag. They, they said, yes, but if you don't take the job, you have to pay for the costs of you coming out here. Wow. Mm. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm pretty thirsty at this point to get experience in the industry. And so how like, old are you at the time? 24, maybe? 20, yeah. Yeah, roughly. That's the ripe age to get screwed. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And they said, yeah, come on. Uh, we'll fly you out. But if you don't take this, you can pay for it. I said, okay. I fly out there mm -hmm. with my then fiance, who's now, now my wife. And we check out the area and they have 200 people working there, which is massive for a video game studio. That's not a normal yeah. thing. Um, so I was like, okay. Then they have like three to four projects going at a time. They had done mostly DS titles and a couple mm -hmm. of like, they were at the time getting into Wii and 360. So I said, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And um, so uh, I'm supposed to work on a Smash TV remake, if you know what Smash TV is. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, wait, I'm thinking of something else. No, yeah, I don't S think so. Smash TV is like, if you've seen Running Man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, it's basically yes. like, uh, you know, <laughs> violent sport caught on film and showing it to an audience. And that's what Yo. Smash TV is. It was, it was ridiculous, but, uh, <laughs> it was, it was from back in the day. And, uh, I was like, Oh yeah, this is like when I was a kid, I believe this is in the arcade. It's cool. So I pack all my stuff. I move to downtown Salt Lake city, Utah. Um, I don't even have all my stuff unpacked. I start that Monday. I walk in and they say, uh, Hey, bad news. We didn't get smash TV actually. And I said, Oh shit. Okay. Well, what'd you get? And they said, Major League eating the game. What? And at this point, I, I said, if you'll excuse me. And I walked into <laughs> my, my truck and I screamed fuck as loud as I could for like about a minute straight. And then immediately I got out and I went, 
and I walked in and I said, okay, let's get started on this shit. And so we, uh, you know, I'm glad I had a job and I didn't move there for nothing. So, um, yeah, I worked on major league eating the game for about seven months or something, eight months. Wow. Um, and they said they wanted a mix of, this is the publisher, uh, Mastiff Games. They had said, we want a mix of Street Fighter Alpha, Mario Kart, and Dance Dance Revolution. And I was like, have you played those games or did you just pull this out of a hat? Like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. like not much crossover there. Um, but that's what they said that they wanted. So we made this competitive eating game that has like power-ups and you had the Wii, it was on the Wii. So you had to like, pull the food to your mouth and then chew with the thing and um there were um, power-ups so you could like burp in people's faces and try to make them throw up but then you had to like keep the throw up meter down it was a whole thing wow um, I'm, I'm looking up screenshots for it oh it's jank that yeah that's wild looking yeah and we and mind you we had about uh eight months to do it so it was like make this game in eight months and um and it had like online play so you could play with other people if you had a, a friend on like a Wii code friend code which is also dumb why would you do this why like this game is not going to be big enough to demand playing this yeah. against other people um but it's network code that you need to put in and figure out which we did um but yeah it's like one of those things where um you shut up and take the money because that's what is available at the time and you get experience so i did that and I worked on a couple other things randomly as like a camera designer. And then that studio shut down because the owner was taking money out of people's checks for taxes, but then he wouldn't send that money to the government. No, which is a, a studio like that, that takes advantage of flying costs, takes yeah. advantage of tax money. No Surpri surprise. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> now I didn't, you know, me as somebody who works also in restaurants and worked at a couple of other places, this had never happened to me where somebody's like, hey, we don't have a check for you. Or, oh, I was going to say it's happened to me uh, once before in a cheesesteak place in Philadelphia. He would not pay us on time because he uh, used uh, paycheck money for um, other activities. Oh, man. See, like that shit blew my mind that that could exist. Yeah. I'm like, what? This is... I'm just used to. Uh, regular honest people or companies that can't do that shit. Uh, so yeah, yes, that is insane. That was, that's crazy to me. I, yeah. So then that company goes out of business, obviously that guy, in fact, went to jail for a period of time. Um, and I'm owed money that I'll never see. Like I, you know, I'll never see that again. Um, yeah. but yeah, so there I am unemployed in 2008 slash nine which is like the worst time to be unemployed oh, uh, yeah. during the recession. Um, and I didn't have a job for like four months. And then I moved back to California um, and worked at WayForward Technologies as a level designer on Batman, the Brave and the Bold, which is uh, a fun little side-scroller game based on the cartoon show for the, for the Batman game. Um, it's, it's not like Arkham Asylum, you know, dark or mm. anything like that. It's very much like a kid's game. Um, but it was fun. It was, it was well done and the art's great and the writing was actually pretty good. Um, and then post that, um, they laid off the entire design team except for me. And they said, do you want to be a producer? Because we don't have any design roles right now for anything. And also, mm -hmm. can you take a week off furlough, like no pay because we don't have any money coming in and Not asking for much. 
yeah. yeah. But it's like, it's either that or nothing. And so mm. I said, uh, oh, okay. Uh, so in that time that I had that furlough week, I started applying for other jobs because I was like, man, this is not going to be consistent and I can't be living like this. So mm-hmm. um, after that, I got the role at uh, Carbine Studios on a game called Wildstar, which is an MMO that um, mm. came out in 2014. But at the time, this was 2010. So um, yeah, that I worked on for four years. And not only was I a producer, I was the de- the design team producer. So I would work with quests and combat and, you know, trade skills and economy and anything related to design. Um, and I also did voiceover work for them and also did like a dev speak series. So if you ever see anything where it's like a dev talking about stuff, that was me kind of talking over cool mm. mechanics that were coming into the game and stuff like that. Um, and then from there, I worked at Amazon Game Studios. Um, I worked on New World for all of like nine months. Uh, Amazon was not really my bag. I didn't really like the way that they were organizing how the game was made. I think they made a lot of improvements since I left. But at the mm. time, I really uh, was not into it. And uh, Blizzard had reached out and said, would you be interested in working on World of Warcraft? And I said, yes, absolutely. So wow, went there. Um, you know, and once you start to get experience in a certain genre, it becomes a lot easier to sort of work within that genre because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. know that you understand what it takes to make one of those things. Yeah. So with MMOs, I had quite a bit of experience at that point. So, um, yeah, so I worked there for two years, uh, worked on Legion for World of Warcraft, had a great experience there. And then um, my old boss from Carbine uh, had reached out and said, hey, what would it take to get you to leave Blizzard? And I said, <laughs> I'm not leaving Blizzard, man. This place is dope. Like I'm getting paid decent and uh, the game we're putting out is awesome. And I really like the people here. And mm-hmm. he's like, cool. What if you're creative director on a new project? And I'm like, yeah, I'd leave tomorrow. I would, uh, I would, I would leave instantly. Um, so I interviewed with Nexon. And, um, and after I interviewed with them, basically, uh, I got the thumbs up to be a creative director on a brand new game. And I had pitched a lot of games at Nexon, or three games at Nexon. Oh, wow. Um, the, my third choice was the one that got picked, funny enough. Um, and it was, I can't really go into detail about it without breaking NDA, but uh, I can say it was a third-person melee combat PvP game. That's all I can say about it. Okay. Um, so uh, it was cool. It was fun. It worked out well. Uh, I think it was rated well, but there was a change in management at the top and when they saw the game they were like mm, this isn't going to kill Fortnite or anything so <laughs> we're going to shut you guys down and uh what? yeah i was heartbroken i was it but anytime that i tell anybody from the industry like oh there was a management change they know instantly like oh shit i know where this yeah. is going um dang so yeah that shift in management meant that um you know, there's a different perspective and what they thought was good for the company. They felt that this was not uh, something that was going to help them. So they shut us down. We asked if we could be purchased by somebody else or if we could buy the IP off of them. They said no. And that was wow. that. Um, mm-hmm. So at that point, I was sort of looking at what my next thing was. Um, I had a couple of opportunities and then I interviewed at Deck Nine and um what I liked about Deck Nine was there was 
a bunch of very humble and nice people that also made cool stuff. And um, I had, they were showing me true colors before it had been announced. And there was such a huge jump from before the storm to true colors that it really impressed me in terms of their visual fidelity and their storytelling capability. And the fact that they put out a narrative game first try before the storm and it was good. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. rare. Um, so there's a lot of talent. There was a lot of skill. There was a lot of um, very positive attitudes and wanting to improve. There wasn't any like we got nominated for a BAFTA, you know, about stuff. Yeah. It was everybody's pretty, pretty humble. So, um, so I, yeah, I mean, they were, there were other companies that I talked to that were certainly going to pay more, but I found this place to be more interesting in terms of potential and um, stuff. So, yeah. So uh, I yeah. interviewed with a few people, got in, and um, yeah, then I started, uh, then I learned like, oh, it's a Telltale game we're going to be working on. Oh, okay. And um, wow, it sort of... Uh, sort of landed in our laps that it was going to be uh, the expanse and um, just cool with me because I was I'm a sci-fi fan so um, mm-hmm. seeing that I was like okay um, okay that was a long ass no I was there, so like with all that journey going through like I want to get your perspective on this question uh, you always hear it's like it's not what you know it's who you know mm. uh, based off of your life journey right there in terms of the games industry if you had to do a pie chart of what you know and who you know, uh, where does each of them sit on that pie chart? Um, so I didn't know anybody getting into the industry, not, hmm. not a soul. So um, when I got in, I was lucky. This, is, this never happens. Like I had my resume up on, at the time, monster.com, which I don't think anybody yeah. gives a shit about anymore. But um, <laughs> yeah, right. At the time, um, that got noticed by somebody because I had G4 experience on my resume and mm. the G4 thing, I didn't know anybody there either. Um, so it was a lot of putting myself out to everybody that would listen and really just kind yeah. of seeing what happened. Um, the place in Utah didn't know a soul. Like they, uh, saw my resume on, uh, I think it was Gama Sutra at the time and now it's oh, called wow. something else. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then, uh, the, the job at, um, with the Batman game, my boss, uh, Stephanie wise, she knew somebody there and she knew that I was looking for a job. So she had recommended me to somebody else. And then I interviewed and, um, luckily didn't shit the bed. So, um, yeah. from, from that point, you know, that got me in. Um, and then funny enough at Carbine, the guy who interviewed me is a guy named Eric DeMilt, uh, who's my boss, also worked with Stephanie Wise. And hmm. he had called her and, and said, like, hey, how's this Frost guy? And she's like, I like working with him a lot. He's great. And then uh, <laughs> so I got in through that. Um, Amazon, I didn't know a single person. Um, Blizzard, I knew a couple people, but nobody that was like hmm. the hiring manager. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so like a majority of those things and deck nine i didn't know a single person um so oh yeah it sort of just depends like sometimes that helps with the who you know um but uh, and this is also like one of my core things is i i try not to be a prick to anybody um <laughs> and usually that's a good thing because in the future if, if i had been terrible to stephanie for example um she probably wouldn't have recommended me for a couple of those jobs 
Yeah. Um, Stefan, um, do you when you got to Deck Nine? Because I, I, I don't really know the behind the scenes of this kind of stuff. But because you'd come in as a developer, but like, how did you get selected as the game director for the Expanse? Were you bought in for that role specifically? Because obviously, when we saw like Life is Strange, like where where Pickersgill and um, mm-hmm. Chris Floyd were co directors on that um, game, and then we moved to Zach Garris on uh, True Colors, and Zach Garris moved from like the writing to um, a director role. But I wanted to know like what the process was for the Expanse. Like, were you just automatically put into the director's role? Um, and obviously, I experienced prior as well as a creative director, but was that just a natural selection for them? Uh, yeah, so it's weird, right? Um, I don't have narrative experience per se prior to this job. Um, I had worked with narrative teams as a producer, but that doesn't mean that I have creative output in that role. Um, I have written, I had written a comic book in 2010, nine. I can't remember. Um, it was, a it was sort of an indie comic. I put it on Kickstarter. It got funded. I put it out. It got some positive reviews, but it was nothing big. But I had some creative experience in creating characters and worlds. And um, I'd also made a board game called Brutality. This board game um, came out in 2019, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But that one also had like characters that have a background and personality. And like one of the characters is a has a demigod baby and a big ass sword. And she's a mom that like carries this kid through, you know, stuff. And there's, um, you know, like there's a conjurer who like speaks through a severed head and stuff like that. So I I had to create characters that had personality to work with the artists to do that. So I not only had process understanding from production time, but also had, you know, creative director experience on the projects at Nexon and I showed the stuff that that I had worked on at Nexon to Deck Nine people, and they were like, "Oh shit, okay, this is actually pretty legit." That you started from absolutely nothing to having a thing in like two years that was cool. Um, so I think they sort of took a gamble in a way by hiring me because I, you know, I hadn't made a a Life is Strange or a Telltale game or a you know didn't work on Edith Finch or Firewatch or you know whatever. <laughs> um, so it was like, okay, well, you know, can this guy do it? But I spoke a lot with Zach Garris, um, and mm-hmm. he and I sort of uh, talked quite a bit and understood uh, the work, right, the job and what was necessary. And um, and talking with the team, too. I had to talk with narrative folks and artists and animators, and, um, you know, they had to have faith in my ability as well. So, um I interviewed with them and that worked out really well. And I think that um, having worked on sci-fi projects and fantasy things and stuff like that um, sort of fit in well with what was needed for the job. Um, hmm. And yeah, it's it, what's also weird though, if you think about this, because this happened to me originally with combat designers, I would, um, how many combat designers do you think exist on planet earth? Hmm. Not many. I have no idea. I'm gonna like say 10. not many at all. <clears throat> oh, more than ten, but but I would okay. say like less than five hundred, probably Ooh. on the on the planet, right? Yeah. Like if we think about it. <clears throat> yeah. Um. So what that means is you can't always hire for that role with experience in mind that is exactly applicable, but you can look yeah. at the potential of somebody and what they can do, and mm-hmm. um, similarly, how many people have directed a narrative game? on this planet uh well, in like history yeah no man like narrative games have 
really just taken a push in the past decade, I want to say. So, I mean, you have like man, Monkey I, Island and stuff from like back in the day. Oh, that's true. But yeah, but even then, that's it's a different beast than you know having mocap and performances and. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so directors. Kind of, I I want to say like a guess of two hundred fifty. Like I'm going to say like half of combats. Yeah, you know? maybe. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe even less than that. You know, like there's there's just not many in that pool. So what you need to do is either homebrew them, right? Like you hire mm. somebody for a different job, and then over time you teach them how to become that or work with them to get to that point. Where you take a risk on somebody and say, you know, can this person adapt? to this genre and uh, the differences that it needs and what is important because, you know, gameplay um, by comparison in say like walking dead, mm. not amazing. Yeah. Right. Um, right. But the, but the story is exceptional. It's so yeah. well done. And the, the choices that you're given and um, the experience that you're walking through, it's like playing a walking dead comic, which is awesome. And what's, what's the point? Um, but if you go to Blizzard and say that, they'd be like, cool, 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 cool. We make Hearthstone and we make yeah. World of Warcraft and <laughs> story is important, but uh, the gameplay is, is sort of king there. Um, mm -hmm. And so really, it's just about understanding what the genre is and what it needs and what it's mm -hmm. lacking and what it needs improvement on and and taking a, th a guess. Like, I think this would be good for this genre. And this is what I feel as a, yeah. as a player of it or a developer. And just kind of going for it yeah it just sounds like um like musicians like you could be just a sound score it's like that sounds great but have you worked with this certain genre like you can't just say musician it's like does their style match um i can think of one uh volt supreme he does a lot of um synthwave sound um it's not to say he can't do like a cinematic score like uh, olivier de Verrier can do it's just that's if you're going to choose between the two and you want a cinematic score, you need to go with the guy who's done that, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you look yeah. at, um, Johan Johansson, like that guy yes. has done crazy different stuff. Um, yeah. And you know, he did Sicario, which is probably one of my favorite soundtracks ever. And, mm -hmm. um, and he also did like arrival, which are totally different mm -hmm. in tone and feeling. And certainly there are people that can do that. And then sometimes there are people that are, are going to be like, uh, I don't know, junkie like XL core focus, very exciting yeah. drums, you know, driving sort yeah. of stuff. And, <clears throat> and maybe, maybe junkie XL has it in him to make something that is as beautiful as a rival is in terms of it's like mellow um, and ominous tone atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of that driving, like which he is exceptional at. Um, that's mm. also one of my favorite soundtracks is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. The, I think that it's just, Maybe he hasn't gotten the chance to. Maybe he doesn't have it in him. Maybe he doesn't want to. You know, it's just, it just yeah. depends on who you're talking to and mm -hmm. do they have the capability to do that. Really insightful stuff, and it's really interesting to hear that. And obviously, in your role as game director, you'll be supervising a lot of things. And then through this project, we've kind of like me and Adam have learned more about Zachary Andrews, who was the performance director on this game. And um, mm -hmm. obviously, Erica told us a lot about him in terms of the. Um, working with him on this set we i i really only knew deck nine through where pickers go doing the life is strange stuff as performance director so obviously zach was a new name for me to see um and you'll have worked with zach because he's doing the mocap he's leading all the stuff but i wanted to know like what was it like working with him and then were there also any instances where like maybe you guys saw a different vision for a scene because obviously you're in like the 
in the writing room, you might be in the um, directing role, supervising all these different things and conceptualizing something in your head. And then Zach produces something completely different in terms of performance, which you might have thought mm, that that was different from what I expected and whether it was like, you know, what you'd imagine. Because um, Webb told me, similar to his experience with Philip Bark when he worked on Before the Storm, it was like he could be in a booth with Philip. Philip could lead the direction a different way. And then even they'd get the actors out afterwards and he'd speak to Philip saying, I don't know if I want that direction or that direction. How, why, why did you go that way? So just kind of like, what was it like working with Zach? And then did you ever experience that where certain scenes could be played out completely different from what you had in your head? Uh, yeah, I'm going to call him Zandrews because this is what I call him normally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zandrews uh, is, was great to work with. He was similar to me. Um, you know, he was somebody that hadn't done this before in this capacity. Um, he had a background in theater and um, was really motivated. You could tell even in the interview that he was very, um, he did a lot of different stuff in tech and mm -hmm. music and all this other, other things that, um, but because of his acting background and because of his ability there, um, working with actors was a big part of it. But he also came to the interview overprepared. Like he did things where he was doing blocking charts and setting it up in different scenes and like how he would, you know, do that stuff. I'm like, God damn, this guy came prepared. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so seeing that was, was great. And to me, that was like, okay, well, this, we should, we should give this guy a shot for sure. Um, and so he came on set and the thing about Zach that I really like is he adapts very quickly and he mm. does not get offended by feedback or you know things that we could work on and improve so when we were doing the stuff with kara for the first time uh doing the adr sessions it's like a vo session you're just you're you have your lines you need certain takes and that process usually how it works is you say okay we're going to do line you know uh 30a and then you do it and then you have a bunch of takes. So you do 30A, 30B, 30C. And then at the end of it, you say, I really like C, circle that or whatever. And so uh, that first time that we recorded with Kara, it was, it was too long. It took too long mm. to get in between each, each lines. But talking with Zach about it, I'd said, okay, look, here's how these things typically work um, in larger scale VO recording sessions for shows, cartoons, games. This is, you know, what it is. And by the next session, it was flawless. It was just hmm. going through those things. He just took it to heart and then continually improved that process as we were going through to the point where I didn't need to be really involved. All I did was like, here's some suggestions for next time. And he ran with it. So I love that about working with Zach. Yeah. Um, then there's the part of him working with, uh, to, to your other part of the question, you know, did I see things differently than he saw them? The way that I work typically is um, I want him, because he's the performance director, to be the one running the room. I don't yeah. want to go like, eh, get out of the way, this is my room, and then tell yeah. everybody what it is. Um, but what I do is he does a couple of takes. He has his thoughts on where it should go. And then uh, usually I'll talk, if, I'm, if I think those are good, then it's like, yeah, circle B or you know whatever. But um, beyond that, if there's something where I'm not feeling it or there's something that I think could be fun or interesting or, you know, some, this is where some of the people recording hate my guts. Cause I'm like, what if we change it to this and, you know, we change something in the, the line or whatever. Um, 
he w- he was very open to that because it would happen after the takes that he was happy with. And he's like, do you have any thoughts here? And then I'd say, what if we did this? So instead of me saying, I don't think that's what I think is the thing, I would just say, can we try a take like this afterwards? And hmm. that way we can get, we can maintain that level in the room where it feels collaborative and it's not, um, to, no, your vision is not correct. Like I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we would just get uh, a few different versions of those takes. And then at the end of it, he and I would talk. And if there was something that we felt like we couldn't figure out which take was the right one, we'd come back to it later and then discuss it and then uh, go from there. But I try to be as collaborative as possible. Like I have things in my head that I want to see, but uh, also I'm, I'll be the first to say that uh, a good idea can come from anywhere. So. Hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, and obviously with your performance as well, because I wanted to pick your brains about this because I, I read up online in some of the interviews and stuff, you've done voiceover work before and you said it during this podcast as well. Uh, but you're not like traditional, traditional actor. And like, as I said, those performances are really impressive. Like a game director's come in and just start working in the Nullstream uh, motion capture. Um, I wanted to know like, what was Zach's perception of that? Because he's obviously got acting background. Erica's got an acting background. They're professionally trained actors. And yet you're here waddling onto set and just like <laughs> delivering great performances as well. And it's like, did you like catch them off by surprise like, when you stepped up for these performances? Uh, I don't know if I caught them off guard per se. I think that. Um, a lot of what I do, so this, uh, another insight, which I think Maury talked with you guys about, but, um, every person that started on the project, I walked them through the story, um, like mm-hmm. a D and D session. And so, um, I would say, okay, the first thing we see is an older man getting dragged down a hallway, kicking and screaming and yelling at these two uh, brothers that are dragging him down the hallway and throwing him into an airlock. The door closes and we see Kamina drummer walking up and she puts her hand over the button. And just as she's about to push the button, it cuts and Mm. it says eight hours earlier. And then we're talking with that same guy. And his first line is let's celebrate, you know? And, uh, (laughs) and so I went through this whole thing. So in a way people understand my storytelling ability from the get-go and usually i'm doing the voices and doing all the stuff along the way so they they sort of knew i was a ham and you know could (laughs) dm and um you know do impressions and stuff um but i think they were kind of uh in fact like tour i would always just do the tour voice to tell people (laughs) you know like what's going on or whatever and in fact i did cox um for the trailer in the very, very first one. So that mm. if you hear the voice, like, uh, that's, uh, doing that, that's me. And funny enough, there was a point where the people at Alcon are like, just keep that voice in this <laughs> really like, who, whoever did this, just keep that in. And I was like, okay, like it, it was, I just <laughs> yeah. did the temp for it. It was, it was supposed to be like somebody else was going to do it. It was before we had casted who Cox would be. So I just did that voice and they're like, I just keep it. It's fine. Uh, so we did. Um, so I, I had done that stuff before. And so they, they sort of knew I could do voices and stuff, but, um, yeah, in the traditional sense, like, I'm sure I could have tried to be an actor at some point. I feel like I'm too old for that shit now, but like if, if I was, <laughs> uh, if I was coming into, uh, cause to be a voice actor, you really need to put in your paces. You really need to, um, 
you need to take classes with people who direct these things so that you can get in and know people. And so if they're like, oh, okay, I need this kind of accent and mm. uh, it's, it's only for this long, but you can come in and do it. Um, so you just need to do work and then you need people to recognize you. Like Nolan North is probably one of the more famous voice mm -hmm. actors, right? Or Troy Baker. Yeah. Um, they, they had put in their time. Like Troy Baker actually was on Wildstar. He was one of the voices before, uh, you know, uh, he got like mega famous and huge for, for his stuff. But he was, yeah. you just put in your time. Um, but you have to live in LA. You have to work, you know, probably a bunch of other jobs until you can finally yeah. get to that point and make a living at it. And there's only a handful of people that do that, um, really. So uh, could I have tried? I'm sure. Um, but I, I think I said, nah, I'm just going to do the video game thing. Um, so yeah, it's weird, right? Like it's very strange. And, and there's a lot of people I'm sure that are like, who the hell is this guy? Why is he doing this? But it, uh, the, the tour thing came up because Zach uh, was like, why don't you just do it? Like we, it's one less person we have to cast and you know, yeah. uh, I'm like, yeah, okay. So, and it wasn't like I had to memorize a crap ton of lines either, you know, uh, that at one time they would, they had said like well why don't you just do Cox the Alcon the people that made the the show and the, were basically the licensor and I was like dude I don't have time for that shit like that you yeah. I have to memorize all those things and also I'm you know directing I don't I don't I can't do that uh, so yeah that it's it's a weird thing um, but I had done voices for games previously um, kind of randomly when they needed it so. yeah. No, because I'm, I'm really impressed because obviously, like, I, I don't really know many directors who have, like, featured that heavily in, in their own game with, like, characters. And, like, my toxic trait, it would be, like, thinking I could go and do something like that, but I'm <laughs> nowhere near good enough to do it like that. Yeah. So, like, I commended you on those performances. And obviously, as we, we heard a lot of you as Anderson Dawes in, in voice in, in one of the episodes, and obviously we got that great, those great appearances from Tor later on the, um, in the late stage of the game. But I wanted to know who's your favorite character out of the two that you played and why. Of the two that I played, mm -hmm. well, Dawes is one of my favorite characters in the series as a whole. Like he's a really interesting dude, um, and so I think you know he's probably my favorite character. But portraying or doing stuff like Tor was just fun because you know you could be a piece of shit and push Mori around and uh, you know have that kind of weird mix of Belter and Russian and. <laughs> uh, some other stuff because we I toyed with like a couple of different versions and everybody's like yeah do that one um, but yeah it was uh, that was the more fun one to do but uh, Dawes is, is my favorite character probably of those two okay. if you had the chance to voice any fictional, fictional character from any medium who would you choose I have not thought about that uh, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I feel like there are characters that I find interesting and really like, but I don't know that I'm qualified for. Like, mm. uh, so I'm, you can see in the back here, I'm a Hellboy fan. Uh, nice. I would, I would love to voice something like from Hellboy, like whether yeah. it would be Hellboy himself or Abe Sapien or, you know, um, some characters from that would be a, a lot of fun. Um, to do um, but yeah like I'm not qualified for Batman like there's so many cooler people <laughs> that could do Batman you know but the, that would be fun um, but I yeah I also like doing weird eccentric characters too so um, yeah I, I don't know um, 
some someone from Hellboy would probably be my answer there. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a solid nice. choice, though. Stefan, one thing I noticed that you were very active online, like social media wise, when the game was coming out and people were reacting towards it. I wanted to ask you, like, did you um, get engaged from certain people where you were surprised by a certain reaction towards a certain character, whether they like really liked them or they disliked them for more like they just didn't relate to them? Was there anyone who kind of caught you off guard with like the reception a certain character received? Um, you can also pick your own characters if you want to just <laughs> say that. I, yeah. I was great at this. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I think um, I was really happy that people received Khan as well as they did. Um, mm-hmm. Lily, who uh, portrayed Khan, is great. I loved working with her. She was very funny. Uh, she she had timing, right? Like we would have cast it. She's she's younger too, um, but normally you would have casted somebody that's older for Khan. Um, but mm-hmm. we found that the people that we were trying to cast for that character couldn't get the comedic timing necessary to be Khan, and mm-hmm. also have the dramatic chops necessary to be Khan. And uh, so we interviewed a lot of people, but we really liked Lily because of her her ability. Um, one of the the best things that I saw uh, was a review, and I don't remember who what site it was, but they gave positives and negatives. And in the positives column, it was like uh, cool zero G uh, was uh, an interesting story, con, and like that was the bullet point. In the positive. <laughs> I think I, was, I think it was uh, Gamespot that did that. I was really like quite. <laughs> I was like bang on with that because I was like con is a very very good character. She, yeah. So she, what's funny is she's based, I, I've said this before to other people as well, but she's based on my grandmother-in-law and, uh, she, she had told me, uh, just an example of what it was like or what it is like interacting with her. Um, there was a point where she was saying something negative about my father-in-law who had since divorced from her daughter. And so she was saying, ah, oh, man, that, that man was shrinking. I saw him shrinking. I couldn't believe it. I, I saw him and he was way lower than I saw him last time. And I said, man, you are savage. All you do is just like rip on yeah. people. And she's like, well, when Mandy divorces you, we're going to do the same thing. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> God damn. That's funny. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So cons based on her. Um, oh, wow. And uh, there's a lot of the, the sort of, part of who she is, is is sort of the experience because i she is savage but she's great like i love mm. hanging out with her she's very funny she's very like whip crack smart just like instantly has something to say um she's brilliant and she's mean and she's uh she gives a shit about her family you know so uh <laughs> yeah. it's she's just an interesting character so with Khan, the first very first thing I thought of about this game, I didn't know who the main character is going to be. I didn't know anything, but I, for whatever reason, had this picture of this eighty-something Vietnamese woman with like a robot arm that was yeah. the pilot, and I was like, "Fuck, that's cool!" Like you don't see that a lot, um, yeah. You know, with that combination of things, and and then I'm like, "Oh man, what if what if we kind of base it around like." <laughs> grandmother-in-law like oh shit that could be funny as hell so con was to me was like the first thing that sort of came up and i brought that character up and kind of pitched in the the writer's room they're like okay that's that's pretty good um so she sort of developed and the writers brought her to a, a great level um from there so yeah um that one was was 
not surprising, but I was just glad to see that receive that way. And, mm. uh, and that people like drummer, you know, that, uh, sometimes it's hard to make a protagonist that's likable, you know, that does mm-hmm. all the things that you need to do. And then, uh, on top of that, usually supporting characters are the ones that you kind of bounce off of. But I think drummer had enough of her own personality that, you know, she's a badass and she's sarcastic mm. and, you know, she's guarded, but, um, so I was happy with that. Um, and Cox, like, I think what's interesting, the reception as I was watching people online play is, you know, they, you know, spoiler to anybody listening, but it, there's a point where Cox basically tries to toast you in the engine and take off mm-hmm. without you. And, uh, you know, so when that happens and drummer says like Cox, you know, she's driving up the thing. Um, uh, most streamers that I've seen are like, that motherfucker is dead. Like they're just instantly <laughs> like, Oh, I can't believe that son of a bitch. Oh my God. You know, they're just, they're angry. That's like perfect. That's what we want you to feel. Um, and then, you know, you have the gun draws out and he like shoots and hits con. And then people are like this, he's dead. He's space. He's going into <laughs> space. I'm going to kill this guy. You know, they're, <laughs> they're so angry. And then they throw him in the airlock and he gives this passionate plea to not be killed mm. and that a majority of people are like ah, he has good points <laughs> shit i'm gonna keep him around um and some people are like nah fuck that guy and then they hit the button and he goes out in space <laughs> yeah right just fine you know that's why we have the the choice but um but i think the fact that people actually like him even though they know he's a piece of shit is, is mm, a, yeah is a good thing no, that's, that's that is really interesting, and, and uh, we we really love Khan as well. It was a great character. Um, I feel like one of the things that I'm, we haven't touched on yet as well, and especially with what we have, we alluded to it before. This is like a, a powerhouse collaboration between Debt Nine and Telltale, um, co-developed by them, uh, published by Telltale. It's like Telltale's rebirth. Obviously, we have like a lot of excitement for The Wolf Among Us too, but with this this is Telltale's first game since uh, The Walking Dead season four. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, how difficult was, like, because obviously people are coming to see a Telltale game as well, but they're also seeing that that unique Derek Nine narrative storytelling. So I wanted to know, like, how important was it retaining that Telltale style while also retaining, like, the core elements w- what make Deck Nine, uh, you know, well, a Deck Nine story, essentially? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was very important. We wanted to make sure that it felt like a Telltale game so that people weren't, you know, completely thrown off. Um, you know, I think something like Life is Strange is a little bit more melodramatic in its approach mm-hmm. and has a lot more downtime and space. We we have like one moment, you know, with Maya where you can listen to the music, which is very Deck Niney, you know, mm-hmm. has the, and that was something I suggested, funny enough, like it wasn't <laughs> anybody else who had worked on a Life is Strange game before. It was me. Um, but uh, for the most part, we wanted to keep that the action up. And I remember pitching this to Maury and her response is like, okay, so this is definitely not a life is strange feeling thing at all. <laughs> like, no, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've got a lot more action and a lot more, the pace is much faster, I think, in, in terms of what it needed to be. So um, yeah, it was important. We wanted to have, you know, the characters will remember that thing. We wanted to have, you know, tough choices that result in life and death situations. We wanted to have, um, you know, the, the option to talk with people and endear them and uh, put them through a fantasy of a world that, you know, with Life is Strange, it's an original IP. This one is uh, Telltale pretty much only does licensed stuff. So, you know, Wolf Among Us is based on fables and Walking Dead, obviously the, mm-hmm. the show and the books. Um, 
you know, same with Game of Thrones and Minecraft and all these other things that they've done, they want it to feel like it's of the world that they're basing their stuff off of. So uh, that was a big focus for us was trying to make it feel like an expanse story and that it felt mm -hmm. very authentic to the fans of that, um, that thing, but also feel like a telltale game. But also we have things at deck nine that are slightly different. You know, our, our art style this time around was not the sort of graphic novel looking cell shaded um, thing. Mostly that was because the show, it was based on a show as opposed mm -hmm. to a comic yeah. book. Right. Um, so that that was the choice there. Like we could have done the the shading to be something like a Telltale game before, but I think it we were trying to do more of the show than we were a Telltale in that one. Um, mm. So yeah, but for the most part, you, the way that the collaboration worked would be, you know, we wrote and designed uh, everything, and then we would run it by Telltale and get their thoughts on things. So mm. <clears throat> they could say, um, you know, they. Uh, didn't like this character for whatever reason. Here's here's some <clears throat> things there, and we'd go back and forth on that and get through to a point of where you know everybody was happy. And we also have a licensor on top of that, so you know is the licensor happy with the portrayal of their characters that we're using? And we take that feedback and put that in too. So, uh, but luckily it was a, a pretty good collaboration. It wasn't anything tenuous or you know people weren't jerks or um, I've I've had very terrible. Uh, licensor relationships before um mm -hmm. and it's hard because sometimes people just want to armchair game dev you know and they're like finally i can be in the game industry and, and have my say on something yeah <laughs> as opposed to let's make this game what it needs to be um but that was not the case here it was, it was great working with alcon uh telltale you know they provided some great feedback and uh support for getting you know the actors and and stuff that we needed yeah. for this um, and then did all the marketing and stuff for us as well. So, um, yeah, it was great. We're going. So speaking on that comment of armchair game dev, um, I want to talk about like how you would take on some of the, the um, uh, negative feedback on game development, uh, both on, on like certain negative feedback you might've gotten from the game, but, uh, more so the jarring aspect of, where the game each episode is only 45 minutes to an hour long which was jarring like for yeah. for a gamer yeah even to me like i'll be i'll be honest i was like wow that's only 45 minutes to an hour however the armchair game dev that i might be i'm also doing music and i just released an ep that took five months to produce with only 22 minutes of music and how it just boils down to that uh my question to you is that uh, how do you handle that negative feedback? And what's something you want to say to people that me included? And what is what's something you want to say to me? Uh, saying that like, wow, each episode's only forty five minutes, but yeah. it takes a lot of work to make each episode. Yeah, I mean, uh, first and foremost, that is a very fair critique. It is short. Um, I think the if you want to blame anybody for that, you can blame me. Um, as the game director, <laughs> it's it's my responsibility to make sure that you know the game is what it is. And uh, never would I point to anybody else and say like, well, uh, blame, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. the, the reason that it is this length is um, I think of making a video game at the start kind of like setting up a D&D &D character, your stat sheet, right? Like, where do I want to put my points? Do I want to have more of this? Do I want to have less of that? What do I want to do to make this? Um, so, you know, we have a budget. We have a, a time that we have to do. and 
so for me, I would have rather had a shorter amount of awesome than a longer mm. amount of meh. That was sort of my thesis at the beginning of this project. I like that statement. Yeah. Well, it's, and the thing is like, it is short. I, I would agree that these episodes are shorter. Um, but I think it's good. I think yeah. I, I stand by what we've made. I like what we've made. And with the time and resources and budget that we had, I think we did uh, as good of a job as we could have done. And a lot of people are like, well, if you could go back in time, like you can't, this is, this yeah, is what it is. I, you know, I've it's, been saying on this podcast that I think this game's going to age really well uh, just because you can tell somebody like, yeah, it takes about five to six hours to beat. I uh, play it all the way through. I think the whole story is collaborative. Um, but yeah, it was just like so jarring as someone who is used to telltale games being like totally. two hours long. Yeah. Uh, each episode, I'm like, wow, it's, it wasn't a bad critique. I was like, this is just, I'm not used to this. No, yeah. it's, it's fair. I think the thing is people have an expectation when they're coming in based off of this very long history of uh, telltale games, right? Like they're, they're used to a certain amount. Um, what's interesting is you usually don't get that critique on something like Edith Finch or on yes. uh, Firewatch. Those are games that are technically shorter than, than ours, but they weren't telltale games, right? So because of that, that expectation isn't there. And it's judged on the merit of, of what it is. And, uh, you know, it is very fair to say, like, this feels shorter than the usual game because it is. Um, the, the thing that I'm proud of, though, is that it's, uh, it runs smoothly. It's like 60 frames mm -hmm. a second on uh, pretty much all the platforms. Uh, the story itself is engaging. At the end of episodes, as I'm watching Let's Plays, people are like, no, ah, you're leaving me here. Are you kidding me? Yes. It's because yeah. you're invested, because you care. Um, and yeah, it is, it is shorter. The, the other part of this too, and again, this is where you can blame me for this. Um, there's a critique that's often lobbied at or lobbed at telltale games which is uh my choices don't matter right like you you pick one thing and it doesn't matter because that person's going to die in 10 minutes anyway and it goes back onto the same course um with this game i wanted to make sure that the choices felt like they mattered that people mm -hmm. would live or die based off of the decisions that you were making the result of that though is that you have a shorter episode five um episode mm -hmm. five is the most amount of cinematic minute content that we've shot so of all of the episodes, that's the one that has the most amount of stuff. And yet, it's the shortest episode. Why? Mm. Because your choices matter. Because Khan mm. can live and Khan can die. And because uh, Rayan can live and Rayan can die. And because you have all these other core story points that you need to get through anyway with Toussaint and with Virgil. Um, and all of these things still need to happen, but they can happen in different ways. And um, so that was a, a choice that we made there too. Now we could have done it to where those choices put you back on that straight and narrow path a little bit more and it would have made the episodes longer, but then your decisions wouldn't have mattered as much, which is another, you know, sort of critique that uh, the genre often gets. And so, uh, you know, this is a choice that I made uh, on this. And so again, if people are like, Oh, it's too short, blame me. Like that's, this is my choice. Yeah. Here. So, um, but you know, it's, it's what you can do in the time that you have. Um, somebody had said the other day that I was talking to, I think it was Zach Garris. Um, I talked to him. Oh, yeah. He was like, yeah, th these are um, the way that like games are is it's kind of like playing a football game. Like you go out, mm. you do the best that you can. 
And at the end of it, you know, you try to have uh, the most gracious attitude that you can towards what you had. You, you like, it's terrible if I was like, well, if I had a better team, you know, then ugh, yeah, cringe, you know, but yeah, um, you can always just blame anything like your surroundings. But the, the, the choice of the matter is like, you have what you have, the time that you have, um, this is the opportunity that you have. And that's why I like studying Stoic philosophy is just like being content with what is around you, what you can control. Um, and, and that's just it. It's like, it is what it is, but I'm proud of the product, you know? Yeah. And I think this, uh, I'm really happy with the way that this team worked together. And um, in a lot of ways, there are things about the game that I'm really proud of. But um, one of the bigger accomplishments, somebody had asked me, I can't remember who it was an interviewer in, um, in LA when we did a press event. They said, what are the, what's the thing you're most proud of? And at the, uh, we did a, a post-mortem meaning at the end of the project, we sort of asked how things went, what went poorly, mm -hmm. what went well. And in the what went well category, uh, unanimously across the teams, everybody said that they felt heard. And to me, mm -hmm. that was a big thing. Another thing is we didn't crunch our asses off to make this game. We made this game in a reasonable uh, setting because we understood what it would take to make the game and we understood what it would take to make the game good. Um, and again, I could have crunched the team to death to get, you know, an extra however long. Um, but I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to make people uh, have worse relationships with their kids or their significant others um, because of, you know, the time that we have. Um, so, again, blame me on that one, too. But uh, I'm fine defending that. So... I have another follow-up question for that, especially with the old time crunch. And I know we're running out of time for you, but um, I, would, I definitely want to get your take. So I, you're, you're active on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you've probably seen a thread from Nelson about uh, Baldur's Gate 3, of how this is going to set expectations too big for gamers. I don't know if you've seen that thread. Uh, um, I've, I've heard this critique. I, I didn't know who it came from, but yeah. Yeah, he's a he's actually an indie developer. Um, I can't remember what his team is called, but basically the the short end of the thread was um he's not saying that you know game developers now need to make a good game now. Um, but that Baldur's Gate is so grandeur in size that a lot of gamers are going to feel like every game needs to be this size. Um, if you've seen that thread, what is your take on it? Uh, do you also fear that sometimes that bigger games come out setting expectations for your game, even though it's not the same genre? Uh, you as a game dev, uh, game director, what, do you, what is your take on that? Um, and just to, just to tack on to that as well, um, Stefan, obviously, based on um, your experience with Warcraft as well, because you've worked with on like massive MMO games, does it always have that kind of like, is it in the, in the back of your mind of like how big your game's going to be and like the length and et cetera? Yeah, so it's uh, it's not a fun creative conversation to have, right? Where mm -hmm. you're saying, "What do we have, and what can we do in the time that we have, and how do we make that as good as possible, and keep the quality bar high and stuff like that?" But I think it's a necessary one because you'll see a lot of games that come out that don't have a high quality bar and will come out and kind of feel unfinished, like you can tell. Um, and you'll see patches and stuff that try to fix it or, you know, whatever. Um, but the genre really depends on what you're trying to do. There's, uh, there was somebody at, at Blizzard who had said this, and I want to say it was Jeff Kaplan um, when he worked mm -hmm. on WoW. 
but the saying was quantity is quality for them. Um, you know, in MMO, they, there's an expectation when you buy a new expansion that there's a lot of content for you to chew through. And that's true. That's just the thing with WoW. Um, you know, whereas if you do a Call of Duty campaign, they're like four or five hours, maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe a little bit longer. But, um, but the quality matters to them in terms of that experience is very well put together and mm. um, has a, an awesome story, great shooting mechanics, and you know, all this other stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a big part of it. Now, there are certain directors that are, are a little bit less production focused than maybe I am because I have this weird mix of production and creative stuff. So uh, there are some that are just all creative and they're like, look, give me an adult who can tell me when I need to do things and then I can argue with them on what needs to go in and what doesn't or whatever. Um, and I need uh, many and an adult around me as well. But, um, but when it comes down to figuring out what the, the thing is that you want the player to have and have a good experience with, you need to understand the constraints and what the time is that you, you can do that in. So, um, I tend to think about that, um, when I'm going through things, it also, uh, helps make the team know that you're on top of stuff, right? Cause if they're, they're like, yeah. I have this mountain of things to do. Can I actually accomplish this? Mm. And within the time that we have, because if we don't, does that mean we're crunching like crazy to get all this stuff? Um, so, and there's a lot of people with PTSD where they've, they've worked at other places where they know that they've been crunched really hard to get something done. Um, and they're not looking forward to doing that. Or then there's a fear of like, well, if you don't get it done, will somebody cancel the project? Totally possible. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're working early on something and it doesn't seem to be hitting the goals, the publisher starts to get worried, rightfully so. And then says like, I, can you guys even do this? Like, we're, we're worried. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you really have to take those things into consideration. Or at least I think so. Um, now there might be some people that would argue, um, maybe it's worth it to have, like, uh, I'm not picking on Bethesda when I say this, but like, you know, Bethesda has bugs when they launch their games, you know, this is like pretty mm -hmm. known, but also some of them are kind of charming <laughs> and funny, but, um, <laughs> yeah. And and also they have a huge amount of stuff like Fallout Three or Skyrim. They're some of my favorite games ever. Yeah, and they were buggy like when they came out. But oh, does yeah. that mean it's not worth shipping? No, actually. Like I think I was able to get through the game and enjoy them. It really just depends on who you are and what kind of game you're you're trying to make. Um, yeah, yeah. I hope that answered the question. Yeah, no, it does. It's just kind of like one of those things, like the expectations of what I want from a video game might not match with what you can do in, in a video game. Like it might be buggy, but are they charming? Um, and that, and that's just is like, it's just too grandeur. I mean, I, I keep bringing it back to music and just like indie artists, you know, they can't make the same kind of production as like, say like the offspring or Metallica or something like that. Like, and there's just a lot of expectations that albums need to be Metallica level. And it's just like, well, indie artists who are producing in a bedroom, you know, can't do that. Um, it's just yeah, but you, if you're you Elliot have... Smith, right? Like, you that, don't need that, yeah. right? Like, you can you can make a sound that is almost the charm comes from the sort of raw, rough recording. Yeah, punk rock is like that, right? Like, there's a lot of punk rock bands, like the Ramones, did not have great sounding stuff, 
but no. it's, it's okay. That's not the point. The point was that it was raw, exactly. and emotional, and that you had dudes that were not exceptional musicians. They were, but they could write catchy hooks, and they, you know, yeah. play fast. So, and that's just it. It's just like a, a lot of different things. Like you can't be always polished. Like it doesn't give any character. Once it's too polished, then it's just kind of like, how do you differentiate between album to album? You know. Uh, different sounds or even Billie Eilish's um, production they do it in their old parents house like with a MacBook it's not even in a studio it's just like in a in a house somewhere um, you yeah, know I can think of all sorts of things yeah there's a, there's a lot of that stuff in games and so um, yeah I hope people didn't take my you know, saying that Bethesda games can be buggy that's not a, a me lambasting them that that's me no it's just looking at like there are different types of games like celeste is one of my favorite games uh yes i love celeste it's but it's very tight and um but the production values are not like massive you know the right the, the cinematics are basically just right with you know text yes. that comes up um but i love that game like it's it's great it doesn't need those things and then you have something like hades you know where it's exceptional all around <laughs> like everything about that yeah. game is great um and uh, you know there's there's everything in between and some of the best games i've ever like some of the best gaming moments i've had are some of the shittiest games i've ever played uh, funny enough mm. like early access games that allow me to do funny things with other people by talking with them but the mechanics themselves yeah. are broken you know um yeah but that doesn't change the fact that i had one of the better gaming experiences i've ever had in early access games that are broken uh, so it, there's a lot of uh it's it's weird because there's a lot of different perspectives on the internet. You were saying I was active on Twitter. There's a lot of I've seen you've seen that Sonic meme, right? Where he's like, I want games that are not massive and yes, uh, yeah. you know, devs that aren't crunched and look worse. And I mean it, or something along those lines. Yeah, uh, there's that perspective, which is seemingly healthy and nice. And then there's other perspectives that are like uh, the expectations are very high from the get-go mm -hmm. like what the hell how come this game doesn't have 800 hours of content mm -hmm. how come the visuals are not we're in the year of our lord 2023 what are you doing uh with these visuals uh, there's there's a lot of different perspectives on what people want in their games and you're not going to make everybody happy so you kind of just need to figure out who your audience is what you as an, an artist want to get out and mm -hmm. and make and then you just try to get something that hopefully will resonate with um, yourself and, and other people too, so that they're going to remember the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, my game of the year in 2022 was Ollie Ollie World, like mm. for sure. Like, out of everything I released, it was just a simple skateboarding game, lots of colors, great music. Still to this day, I'm like always preaching Ollie Ollie World, but you know, it's just like one of those things. It's like, it's just what you expect, what you expect of a game, and you know, everybody expecting Baldur's Gate 3 is it, just unreasonable yeah yeah but you know to and to answer that uh as well um i have no baldur's gate 3 is awesome i love the fact mm -hmm. that they were able to get so many weird branching uh stories in in such a huge game they had a massive budget they had a lot of time i mean that game was worked on for years and years and years and years so yeah that and on top of that has been based off of previous engines like divinity original sin yes and then yeah. divinity 2 
and then you make Baldur's Gate 3. This is a group of people that have over the period of probably over a decade, I think, with those guys that yeah. they've been working on an engine and a pipeline and have people that have been doing this for a long time. So they get it. They know what it takes to do that. It's um, almost like your story where it's just like we we might say that, oh, Stefan Frost came out of the woodwork and out of the but you just told us a story like, no, I've been like I've been putting in my time here and now I'm now I'm a god in video games now. So uh, I'm a god in video games. But but I will <laughs> well, tell you, you know, it's your words, not mine. <laughs> but you'll you'll be you'll be really angry when he sees it in the title, I'm a god quotation mark. <laughs> <laughs> like, god oh, damn it. Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> I've learned not to try not to say anything that's too crazy because it can be put into articles and stuff. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I think the um that game uh and similar like deck nine has had now multiple games made with the software and people that are there and uh, i had said something online not that long ago but you'll notice a lot of the game of the year games are made by people that have been making the same kind of game for a long time like the zelda mm -hmm. team that makes breath of the wild yes. is a lot of the same people that have made zelda games forever um mm -hmm. you know if you look at Skyrim. I mean, that was like Morrowind. That's Oblivion. Um, that's Fallout Three. Like that's that's a lot of stuff that you're going to learn in open world RPGs and get better and better over time. The Assassin's Creed games, like they, all of these things yeah. are based off of your building and understanding of how this pipeline works and tools and mm -hmm. people. And people is the most important part about it. So, oh yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of that is just. Um, I'm glad that Larian got to that point that they could make something as amazing as Baldur's Gate 3. And uh, I am, I'm not worried about other people expecting, like, well, okay, Larian did it. How come you don't have, you know, there's, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that is different. It's armchair from, devs. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I'm not worried about it. I'm sure that some players will have that expectation. You just make the game you can. Yeah. No, exactly. So, Stefan, obviously, a bit time conscious about how much time we've taken from you, and obviously appreciate it because it's been fascinating to talk to you and hear everything. Um, I had three questions, but one of the ones I had was, um, and we're speaking about length, and you, um, your perspective on the length of the expanse is quite interesting to him. It's given me a bit of a different way of thinking about it as well. Um, but the other thing that we noticed with this game was the, um, the way that the episodes were released. So obviously we saw a big pivot with Deck Nine on Life of Strange True Colors that they went with a chapter system. They moved away from the episodic structure that we'd seen years um, gone by. Um, Telltale was very famously known for releasing these episodic games in, you know, a longer period of time. And then this is coming this is coming out like you know weeks apart episodes. Like people can come back every couple of weeks. I just wanted to know like how did the process come about to make that decision of getting episodes released um, more or less two weeks apart. And then also, do you think that this is the format that needs to happen to keep this this actual genre alive, and it's the one that's going to keep, keep people with, like you know, games that made from Telltale, made from Deck Nine, made from other studios. Um, well, so the um, we didn't really uh, we just did the development side of things. The publishing side of it was Telltale. So that decision making mm -hmm. process, I don't know the ins and outs of. Uh, so it was more Telltale kind of said, "This is what we want to do." Uh, and we said, okay, and we'll, we'll divide it up that way. Um, I think we still, even if the game was released all as one thing, which it is now, effectively, now that it's come out, um, mm -hmm. it still would have been divided up by episodes probably. Um, but uh, that, that happened with True Colors as well, right? Like it, it came yeah. out mm -hmm. in, there are multiple episodes, um, but 
it was all released at once. So you could kind of play through it at your leisure. Um, I mean, all I can speak from is my perspective on, on this. I can't really speak from Telltale's perspective or Deck Nine's even. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I kind of like the Netflix, you know, approach of uh, I just want to play through when I want to play through it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that there are upsides to it. Obviously, you know, you can you build up the hype every episode. I do like the water cooler angle of it, right? Where, yeah. um, you know, at the end of episode one, you're going, oh, dude, what are they going to do next? And you have people talking about it and it gives time to breathe. And there are upsides to that for sure. Um, so I think there's there's cool stuff there. I, I don't know what, what Telltale's going to do with, say, like Wolf Among Us 2 or whatever yeah. they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so that would be a question to ask them. But uh, And Deck Nine, usually because we're not a publisher, we're sort of working with whatever the publisher wants to do. So if the publisher wants all this stuff out at once, you got a boss. If you want it out in, you know, multiple episodes, sure thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I, but I think the Netflix model was popular for a reason. Um, personally, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the game, you can't argue with like the game of Thrones stuff where it would come out mm-hmm. and the red wedding happens and everybody's talking about it. And yeah, then the next week thing is, is a thing too. So positives and negatives to both. Okay, okay. And obviously, we're not done with The Expanse yet, because later on we have a bonus episode coming out, Archangel. Yeah. Um, and we're excited for that, nonetheless. Obviously, we own the deluxe edition, so we're excited to see it. Um, what can we expect from that? Obviously, I'm not going to expect you to like, lay out all the details and give us bare bones, but like, because obviously me and Adam have been invested for five episodes, what what can we like kind of expect from this? Because I have no idea who this character is that is based around. I kind of like quickly had a Google search just to see who she is and just kind of get a bit more details. But like, what can we expect just to kind of like flavor profile wise yeah it's it's much different than uh the the core game um <laughs> this one uh, christian avasarala is a politician in the expanse universe she is also incredibly intelligent um and has to work a lot of different angles for a lot of different things to happen so what you can expect from this one is less like oh snaps gunfight oh zero g ah this one is a lot more what is it like to live a day in the life of Christian Avasarala? And this is uh, the worst day of her life. So I'll, I'll just put it that way. Um, so yeah, she is one of my favorite characters. Um, she is voiced by uh, an actress who I absolutely love, which is Shori Agdashlu. She's uh, one of my favorites. And to get to work with her, she if you hear Assassin's Creed stuff now, she does the VO for a lot of the, the commercials that are coming out for the next for Mirage. Um, no snap. Uh, but she's, and she's also, she was Talia's or Talia's mom in uh, Mass Effect 2. And um, oh. she was also in the League of Legends show that was on Netflix, Arcane. She was the mm-hmm. cop, one of the cops that um, was in that. She's in a whole bunch of stuff. She was in Renfield recently. Um, she's uh, awesome. Her voice is iconic and recognizable. You hear it and you're like, God damn, she has the coolest voice ever. <laughs> yeah. Um so getting to work with her was really fun and was also, you know, it's a different vibe in the show. You know, she's doing different things, but they affect lots of different people's lives and her decisions sort of matter in that way. So this one is more <clears throat> I would say introspective. It wouldn't be something that's like I've got a gun to this guy's head. Do I kill this guy? Do I kill this guy? Kind of uh choices. 
Um, yeah, but it's uh, personal and endearing, I think, to that character. And this was really for fans of the show, like that um, we wanted to pick a character that fans would be very excited to get to be a part of and and see. And so, yeah, it'll be different, um, a lot different. This one is is a little bit more uh, laid back, and sometimes, and then more um, intense in others. But um, yeah, the ending is something I'm really uh, quite happy with the performance from Shoya from as well. Nice, nice. Right. Adam, you got any questions yes. before I throw the big curveball to Stefan now? Um, okay, so one question that you can throw <laughs> out here. We talked about big studios. Uh, we talked about bigger games. Uh, what's a smaller game that you've played recently, whether it's come out this year or like in the past 10 years? What's a smaller game that you want more attention to or people like you want people to play? A smaller game. Uh, would you consider Celeste small? I wouldn't consider it small. I don't know. That's smaller than like, I mean, it was nominated for game of the year, but you know, it's smaller. <laughs> yeah. It's a smaller studio. Um, I really like their stuff uh, or, or that game in particular. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that I've, there is one, oh man, he's going to hate me for forgetting the name of the game but it's i think it's called centurium or centurion or something um, okay it's it's a demo uh out, a buddy of mine aj uh who was the art director originally on the expanse telltale series oh wow anthony jones um he uh he left halfway through the project uh not because he was uh upset or anything but he was living in uh where was it Nicaragua with his wife and five kids and was kind of taking care of them. He's like, man, it's, this is too much. So, um, he, uh, had left the game, but he and I, in fact, I went to his son's birthday party yesterday. Um, but so okay. he and I are still good buds and he has a demo coming out. It was made by him and another guy and that was it. And it's kind of like, uh, um, why am I dropping the name? Uh, Vampire Survivors, <laughs> but it's sci-fi, and you're shooting a bunch of Whoa. stuff and running around, uh, and you can mod your ship in different ways and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. That's very small. Uh, it's a very indie uh, sort of thing. But I'll 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 send you guys a link, and maybe you can link it. In. I was about to say I'm trying to look it up to see what the um, what the game might be. Uh, would it be from Panfro Games? No. Okay, I'm looking up a different Anthony Jones then. <laughs> but yeah, send me a link. I definitely want to like, keep my eye on it. Yes, I will. I will uh, send you guys a link. You can you can throw it in there. But that one, uh, I would say, if people want to check it out, they're looking for feedback and stuff like that. So um, nice. Uh, yeah, that that one, I would say check check out. That's a tiny tiny game. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. Stefan. Me and uh, Adam love Telltale games. We like absolutely adore them. We've talked about episodic games in like one of the podcast episodes, like what are the greatest. Um, we we've always kind of like tried to define what we think is the greatest Telltale game. That's what I'm going to ask you now. It's like, what do you think is the best Telltale game oh, man. that they've ever done? That's, that's unfair. Oh. Um, and it's and it's a very <laughs> difficult one because we felt like this. We've like flip flop between like the uh, the Wolf Among Us, The Walking Dead. It's just, but I wanted to know where where do you stand as like your personally your favorite and then what you fit or what you think is the best telltale game uh okay i'm gonna give you two answers 
Um, oh yeah, it's it's a. I would say that Walking Dead is probably my favorite. Um, I really like oh, yeah. Wolf a lot. Like the personality mm-hmm. and the characters and the art style, all of that put together. It's so it's so well done. And what I liked about it was it came out of nowhere. Like nobody would think, yeah. oh, let me base something off of fables of all things. Uh, yeah. A comic book that is not a massive, huge, mega hit, you know, sort of thing. Um, I, yeah. Like, for example, if you were to ask me, like, any sort of thing that I could make um, a future game out of, be it Deck Nine or Telltale, I would actually want to work on like a saga game. If you guys have read Saga, um, mm. uh, yeah, that sounds super familiar. Brian Cave wasn't that Dark Horse? Uh, no, that was Image. Uh, oh yeah, Image. Yeah, Brian Cavon is like one of my favorite writers, and Saga is. Oh is, yeah, uh, Saga is amazing. I would love to do anything in that universe, and I think a lot of it is is similar to um, Wolf in that category of you know, these characters that are very endearing and in a world that is uh, very high fantasy kind of feeling and, um, and, and very uh, mature uh, subject matter. Yeah. Um, And so I really like Wolf, but I think I would say walking dead because it sort of came out of nowhere. Like you had like heavy rain before that, which was sort of Mm. a very intense narrative experience that I think hooked a lot of people um to me i i don't like i don't know anybody that worked on walking dead but to me i see a lot of influence from heavy rain being put into walking dead oh yeah but mm-hmm. adapting it to that world and putting it and really leaning into the fantasy of of being in the world of walking dead which is a grim one and um that you're meeting characters that are surviving and you're going to have to make these awful decisions that you know affect their lives and um and yeah, the art style and like, yeah, the animation maybe doesn't hold up as well, um, seemingly, but it still is an exceptional story. And the, the art style is so walking deady and cool. Um, yeah, I, I think that one and, you know, the relationship between Lee and Clem is, is very strong and that ending mm. is just brutal. And um, yeah, to me, that's like, I mean, there's a reason it's sold like crazy in one game of the year. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it was a really uh, an interesting and pivotal moment for narrative games. Um, I think Heavy Rain was also one where you see that and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is at the time when it, like, when it was out on the PS3, it, like looked amazing. And, um, and even like Detroit also, you can tell they're building off oh, God, of, yeah. you know, the visuals and the storytelling and the ability to branch in all those different ways awesome um but yeah my favorite is probably walking dead out of out of those but you know what uh, oddly enough i also have a, an affinity for homestar runner that they did a long time ago um yeah b- because it's like they they were really leaning into what it was and the art style really mm. carried over and the Wait. personality and heart from them homestar runner there was a game i'm pretty sure telltale did the homestar runner game uh Wait, i'll have to look what? it up just to verify but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was them. It was a what? it was a WiiWare title, I think. Uh, Homestar Runner. I'm looking it up right now. You can hear me clacking away. Yeah, <laughs> same. Everybody, everybody. Wait, uh, Strong Bad's cool game for attractive people. Yeah, Telltale did. What? Yeah, they had some really great little cute moments from you know Homestar stuff, just like you know early internet days for a lot of people. But um, 
yeah that was wow. from back in the day too but it, it's certainly not their best work but it's uh but it's cute and charming I'm yeah for things. sure i'm gonna have to look this up oh <laughs> my god okay yeah <laughs> now, now i'm now i'm on a rabbit trail here but yeah that's all that's uh, that's all the questions for me now i'm gonna be looking this up to see if like it ported over to the switch nope just we yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look that up yeah yeah so, yeah. Stefan, before we close out this round, uh, this entire like section, I've got one more thing for you. Okay. It's six quick fire questions. It's the Frost Lightning round because we're going to ask Stefan Frost all his major choices in the expanse, which way he would go to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously, I'm not going to say a spoiler section because we've talked the hell out of this game. So, <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. Um, Stefan, kicking things off, are you releasing the container or cutting off Rayan's leg? Uh, cutting off his leg. Oh yeah, I respect yep. that. Yeah, uh, kill Cox or let Cox live. Uh, I would say space him because, uh, really, uh, you tried to toast me and all this other stuff. Even at, at a certain point, um, you know, we, you've seen the outcome of the, of the game. Uh, mm. I think that still, I, I would have made that call just because <laughs> I, I don't know if I could trust somebody that's going to be on the crew that's. Uh, going to try to do that again um okay. sleep with maya or sleep alone oh come on guys yeah you sleep with maya every time i don't what's funny is well, you uh, should ask <laughs> <laughs> there's i love watching these the let's plays because there are a lot of people that were like uh this is dumb because obviously you know and they just go in but there are some people that would be like no i'm gonna be professional i'm gonna yeah i'm looking up with maya i didn't yeah. yeah yeah i was just like no i don't think i'm gonna uh, like do that to my crew i don't know what it's gonna do professional wise but yeah no that's why but, but that's why I it's wasn't. an interesting choice right like there's there is a, a part of it that's like okay if i decide to hook up with this person you know and i'm a commanding officer that's gonna look a certain way and that um yeah you know yeah that yeah so it's it, <laughs> it's why we put that there we wanted to make sure that people weren't just like forced into something and you know we give you a choice there but yeah hmm. hooking up with my definitely had you gone in blind, would you trusted Rayan or would you have fought him? Uh, I think my decision probably would have, because I cut off his leg, I probably would have been like, I don't know if I could trust this dude because I, mm -hmm. as much as I want to, like I, there's a part of me that worries that he's going to do something um, with it. So if I had kept his leg, I probably would have trusted him. If I did not, I probably would have chosen violence. Mm. <laughs> this one's going to hit a bit at home. Uh, kill Rayan or fight back against Tor? Oh, I know. It's just a deep cut. <laughs> uh, I would say that uh, I would fight against Tor. I don't, I don't, I think after seeing what happened with Rayan giving me the helmet, I can tell that he was not, you know, trying to hurt me in some sort of way. Um, mm. Or, you know, in the case of where I fight back against him, um, you know, he's like, I wasn't going to hurt you, I swear, you know, that I think at that point. I, plus, I, don't, I just don't know that I could crush somebody to death with my Mac boot, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't think <laughs> I have pretty, it in me. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. But, you know, we left that in because uh, <laughs> I would walk through the story. Was, you, could, you could learn a lot about people when you see these choices being made. Um, but we wanted, the, I, I would call it like the petty path. Uh, mm -hmm. of where you know you are pissed off about what happened to Maya and 
Rain, you know, in some play tests or, or some playthroughs does not stand up to his brother um, when he has the opportunity to stop Maya from getting thrown in the airlock. And so mm. there are a lot of people that were like, he's fucking dead. He's dead to me, you know? And yeah. so it's like, here you go. Here's your option. You can choose to take this person out. Um, but then also, you know, you, you know about Khan's background and her uh, hatred of pirates. And so seeing you crush his skull, um, that means that Khan is going to look at you a lot differently. And uh, so that I think I would, I would know I wouldn't really want to do that. So yeah, I'd yeah. fight it. I'd fight against Tor. Nice. And finally, you can stay behind and help Virgil. You're going to leave him. Oh, I'd, I'd help Virgil. He's uh, he, I think he's in a moment of need and you also need him potentially to help people out. Um, mm. And so if he's not in a rational state to be uh, there for people, then that's not going to be any good, but it's also a tricky one because you want to get to, solving the next problem and so it's like ugh. i mean drummer literally says like, i don't have time for this you know she's like super frustrated but uh but yeah you, you'd want to talk somebody through it and uh you don't leave people behind so unless they're cocks nice. and they try to kill you perfect i think we'll round that up here uh stefan thank you so much for your time it's been absolutely incredible having you on here we could have probably talked for hours because there's so much stuff to get through but it was really great to chat with you um also again congratulations on the launch the expanse the finishing of the first five episodes um loads of people raved about it i think it gave people a lot of perspective on tell um on telltale and also deck nine in terms of different games that they can make um and obviously we're very excited to see more about archangel and we'll definitely be following it through so we'll be uh, keen to see that and also again great performances all around from yourself and the people who worked on the project um we will cut now to our end section to wrap this out but again thank you again for being on here stefan yeah, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Thank you. So that was our interview with Stefan Frost. I hope you all enjoy that. Again, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on. We were absolutely thrilled to have you on here. It's, it's after speaking about Deck Nine and Don't Nod and Square Enix and everything else in between it and Life is Strange and stuff, just to have someone from Deck Nine come on here. Um, it was really cool and just an incredible opportunity and really great to chat with him about everything, including Erica Mori and all the other good stuff that you can talk about. Um very intrigued to watch more. I'm actually really excited to watch The Expanse at some point. I will start it soon because um, I do want to watch yeah. some of these. Like, I really want to see why he likes Anderson Dawes. Like, it was quite interesting, like how he liked Anderson. It's like his, his, like you know how much he loves Kamina and stuff. So I'm very keen on seeing that. Um, but before at this point, let's just wrap up with our final segment, which will be spread the arts. Um, Adam, would you like to go first? Uh yeah, sure. I mean, always. Uh, I always plug my eps you know controllers and cartridges it's out on spotify apple music check it out if you haven't put a lot of work into it so super duper um but yeah honestly let's talk about spooky season it's halloween guys it's halloween season it's october um i'm gonna start with a light one not really like a super haunting one uh this came out 2020 or 2021 i believe but it's a netflix movie with adam sandler called Hoobie halloween um i watched it when it came out and i and i really liked it but we recently re-watched it me and my wife we re-watched uh Hoobie halloween it's still just as adorable like it's just a nice wholesome uh family time halloween movie i i really like it and i think this is one of adam sandler's most candid roles i would say because it's got a lot of his buddies, and it just feels like it's him and his buddies just making a Halloween movie. So, uh, if you're into that, Hoobie Halloween, it's on Netflix. 
I really like it. It's nice. Also, check out my new EP. I put work into it, so I don't know. Check out both at the same time. I think we should um, rechange this segment for October. Where it's spread <laughs> the spooky arts, and spooky is in brackets. Spooky arts. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, uh, time. I do. I'll keep it. I'll keep it on that theme actually, um, because yeah. I actually watched Jigsaw. No Jigsaw. Um, oh. Swags. Okay. Yeah. Oh. I okay. Swags. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was uh, recently released in cinemas. Um, which is uh, the return of Jigsaw, uh, Tobin Bell himself, the first time in a while. I know he was in Jigsaw uh, briefly, but then the entire spiral thing happened. Um, I don't know how much how you feel about Saw, because I really like Saw as a franchise. Um, uh, I see Saw, yeah. Yeah, like the, the first two Saw films are really great for me. The standalone is like two, very much two of the greatest horror films that are out there. Um, and obviously the first one is is iconic for so many reasons. Oh, yeah. Um so I watched this with expectations. I've seen, I think there's a lot of recency bias with it, to be honest, with Saw X. I think people are yes. like over jumping the gun on it. People are like, it's the greatest Saw since. It's like, let me get it right. Like, it's a good Saw film. Good. Yes. In the sense that, do I need it? No, not really. The get, the, that entire like franchise is already wrapped up by the seventh one. Like, you could basically watch Saw 1 through 7 and be happy with it. This is kind of like filler, if anything. It's not mm. needed. It's kind of just an additional story told within the universe, etc. Um, I mean, people really enjoy it because it's a Kramer piece and it's like a big focus on John Kramer, which is, you know, a lot mm. of fun. But this cat, man, what is up, man? I just fed you. What do you want, man? Right. This podcast, like literally 30 minutes. I all asked for you, Adam, was yeah. 30 minutes. And I've had destruction of like recording software. This cat, like meow. Look, he's going to jump up here in a second. Look, you're oh. watching the video version, which I watched the video version. That's him. There he is. He's he's basically like spent like last 10, 15 minutes meowing nonstop. Yeah. I don't know why, because he's just been fed as well. But anyway, back to yeah. back to um Saw X. Yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a fun it's a fun experience if you like the Saw mythology. Um the plot twist obviously is a plot twist. I'm not gonna ruin that for you because if you haven't watched Saw, then I don't know what you're doing. Like it's it's, it's plot twist central. The plot twist is a bit daft. It's cool, but it's also really daft and a bit like there's just so many like <laughs> There's so many things could go wrong in that. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, um, yeah, if you're a Saw fan, you'll enjoy it. I think like my, my kind of thing, what I said to my brother, I was like, if you paid money for it in the cinema, you'd probably be happy coming out of it. I mean, like, oh, actually, that wasn't, that wasn't too bad. Like, I'm not throwing my money away. It's not like it's Halloween ends or something ridiculous like that. It's like, it's still a solid film. And it's probably like the best Saw film since like maybe seven. I think I still think the, the first Saw <laughs> seven films, despite whatever flaws there are in between them, they're all very yeah. strong. Because the universe was good, the story was good, etc. Blah blah. Um, it's 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 kind of like a nice addition and a wedge onto the end of those, um, mm. and especially after the kind of like the nonsense we saw with Chris Rock and Spiral and all that entire like. Oh yeah, you know, that I was the worst. About that. that was horrific. Yeah. I don't know how anyone can defend that. That was like the most ridiculous film I've ever seen. It's like it's like why it's like you want to change the jigsaw voice in that as well. It's like why does this guy sound like Borat? It's like yeah, it's like he is not scary. It's like he sounds like Borat. Mm. It's like this makes no sense. My game. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but like generally speaking, it's good for that. What I'm what I'm concerned with is that this film's got a good reception and supplies, and they'll continue it on. Just leave it, man. Leave yeah. it, leave it, leave it. Like Saw is just done now. It's like it's just done. Um, but generally speaking, I want to kind of like use that. I think I'm, I think I might try and dedicate this entire month for spread the arts just to watching horror films, and then oh yeah, or horror games or stuff, and re reverse back onto here. But anyway, that is my recommendation, which will be Saw X. If you are a horror fan, go and watch it. Go and see what you think. 
I would just kind of like use the main comment, which is recency bias. I think there's a lot of recency bias towards this because it's yeah. probably the best Saw film since Seven, and there's not much before it, which is kind of like, you know, that much to compare against. I didn't really think Jigsaw was very good or even needed. And then even yeah. like Sparrow was horrific. But like, this is like kind of okay for that. I think people have kind of forgot. Like, what I always say to people, like, yeah, it's recency bias, but then go back and watch the first two Saw films. And then at that point, you'll, you'll immediately knock this one down the list. It's just, it's just not even yeah. the same league. Um, anyway. I think we'll wrap up here. Hopefully all this recording turns out well um, in between things. Um, but if you are new here, as one more time, please do consider dropping a subscribe, turn notifications, like the video and share, the, share with your friends. Helps you support the channel more than anything else. Helps you keep up to date with the channel and all the content we post. And Strangecast is available on all podcast services. It's available on Apple Podcasts. We're available on Spotify with a video version. Over 150 followers again on Spotify. Thank you so much for that. It really means a lot. Just seeing the numbers tick up. We're close to about 5,000 players on there as well. So um, amazing just to see it as well. This is a very small channel and it's always just keeping things going as as you will. And one more reminder, we are on TikTok. I will try and keep posting on TikTok a bit more because it's actually wild how many views we can get off that. It's just wild like exposure it gives us. And I'm hoping that it kind of brings more people to this channel because for some reason it's just difficult to attract people where possible um stay tuned i will say this um and make sure you play the expanse that's one more f uh, plug here i think you should really play the expanse because we've got a couple of things coming up in the next month or so hmm. um and i would highly recommend you play it so you can stay in tuned with it we'll keep up to up to date with the life is strange content as well but i would recommend you play the expanse because i don't think you want to miss out on some of the next couple of episodes we're doing here um as a tease and there's also a little other thing that i'm working on as well in between um for this podcast which um adam will see at some point i've just kind of teased that to nice. him before um so yeah for now hope you enjoy the episode again stefan if you're watching this thank you so much for coming on we had absolute pleasure speaking to you go and play the expanse guys and until then take care we'll see you later bye